Quick, do your song. <laughs> I'm all about that bass. About that bass. No tuna. God, this is the second time I made that joke, and it's just worse. It's just worse. <laughs> do it again. No. All right. Please. <laughs> tuna it up. Oh, God. I Well, you know, that song was out of tune. Uh, ha-ha. Ha-ha-ha. Welcome to the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, episode 20. The big 2-0. Old enough to drink in some countries, which was true a few episodes back. Anyway, we're a select button guide and podcast. Uh, most weeks, we select three games at random, and you get to vote on which one we play. But this time, we had a raffle, and the winner of the raffle got to pick a game. If you missed that, you need to be following us on Twitter or Facebook or really anywhere. Anyway, the winner of this raffle was one second before our, uh, you know, regular host. I swear this wasn't rigged. And it's for me, there's no corruption here at all. None at all. I promise, because you can even check that whatever, doesn't matter. I'm not a liar. And <laughs> so I hacked Twitter. He did it. <laughs> anyway, uh, he picked Earthbound. So we're playing Earthbound today, So, uh, which is probably our, going to be our most popular game uh, that we play on this podcast ever. That's just ever. Like, the chances are we're never going to play a game this popular again. Anyway, uh, we're going to be discussing Earthbound using the five standardized metrics for scoring a video game, which are mystery, harmony, poetry, vanity, and gun. I'm your host, Virtual Clint. I am no code. I'm your co-host, Courier Rise. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> today we're today we're joined by some a lot of people, but today we're joined by. <laughs> <laughs> That's no code and uh, saliva, saliva, spit, spit. Want some podcast? Get your own twit. I'm one second before. I'm Bachelor, maker of DDD and Natural Playboys, the greatest game of all time. Earthbound might be number two. <laughs> You hit me with a baseball bat just enough times the gruff shrug became tame. I really feel somehow like a chosen person being permitted to enjoy this great game. This has opened my eyes. I'm Talpa. <laughs> Did the game cascade down your throat? Damn it! My bottom line ruined. Oh god, I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I've got a different bottom line. Oh good. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta have extra ones because we're too good at predicting each other's jokes. <laughs> no. Alright, so before we get officially started, I want to mention that we do have a Patreon page. Uh, we've got tiers for as low as a dollar. Uh, or all the way up to a hundred bucks. Uh, you can pledge for things like joining our private Discord at five dollars. You can dictate games for us to play every third episode. Nobody's on that tier yet, so basically you could pick a game for us every third episode if you pledge twenty-five bucks. Or you could even start on the podcast yourself if you've you know got that money just lying around. Give it to us. Um, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash snexploration. That's S N exploration. Um, so let's talk about. Earthbound. Wow. 
you're probably going to know all this, but it was released in Japan on August 27th, 1994, released in North America on June 5th, 1995. So clearly they were planning on releasing this the, the whole time. This wasn't like an after the fact. Uh, it was released in European countries in July of 2013, uh, which was the Wii Virtual Console release. That was the first time it had ever been officially released in uh, uh, PAL territories, so that's weird. Um, it's a uh, Dragon Quest-style JRPG, in a sense, uh, set in a pastiche of various American cities and things like that. Uh, that's my unofficial description of the game. You play as a little kid named Ness. You gather three other kids, and you save the world. If you've never played Earthbound before, you probably should. We're going to spoil the heck out of it, and it really is a wonderful game. This is probably the first time I've even issued a spoiler warning, because uh, this game is worth playing. So, in any case... Uh, this game was developed by Ape and HAL Laboratories, which I know there's a bunch of stuff there. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, it was published by Nintendo. And the, the person most associated with this game is uh, Shigesato Itoi, uh, who is, you know, not a very prolific game maker, <laughs> but uh, very famous for, for Mother 1, 2, and 3. Um, uh, he directed, produced, and did a lot of writing for the game as well. So the composers are also fairly notable, as is the soundtrack. Uh, the composers were Hirokazu Tanaka, also known as Chip Tanaka or Hip Tanaka. And then the other person was Keiichi Suzuki. So those are our names kind of associated with this. Um, um, and uh, Keiichi Suzuki was a member of Moon Riders and had a solo music career as well. Hell yeah. He also does uh, movie soundtracks, I guess, now, including a uh, Takeshi Kitano, a couple of those uh, movies. So that's interesting. Oh, that would be neat to, to listen to. Yeah, I'm curious about that, but probably not curious enough. Um, <laughs> so I, I asked everybody to play an hour, but I know that we all went way over that. So instead of talking about that, uh, why don't we talk about our histories with this game? When did you first play it? Have you played it a million times? Whatever. I hold on. I have a cat in my mic. Someone else go first. <laughs> well, go ahead. No code. Oh, no, you first. Okay. All right. Uh, I played this game when I was about, let's say, 14, something like that. 13, 14. Uh, I only found out about it because of Smash Brothers. I don't think that's uh, uncommon. I was like, what the hell is Earthbound? So I Googled it and I downloaded the ROM and I played through it in about probably two weeks. I was pretty slow. It's one of my first, like, real JRPGs. I'd played Pokemon before and a couple, like, minor things that I hadn't really gotten into. This was the, the first one that was, like, kind of your traditional JRPG. I got all the way through the game. I never used a walkthrough because I had a thing at the time with never using a walkthrough. I got all the way to the end boss, didn't realize that uh, there was a special way to beat the boss, and couldn't level up because all of the enemies killed me in one hit. I had plowed through the game. So I immediately restarted the game, uh, found a game shark code that put me up to level 99 instantaneously, plowed through it a second time, and got to the end, still couldn't beat the final boss, and realized that I needed to find another way to do it. <laughs> Which, oh my god. That's dedication. It was the stupidest thing, though. <laughs> I mean, it's. Okay. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But did you do the most important thing? Did you pray? Finally figured that out. Only after I'd erased my other save game. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a real disaster. But I was clearly, like, in it. Like, I, I needed to beat this game. I played through the second time I played through on Fast Forward mostly. But, uh, 
Yeah. Um, and then uh, this time I played about five hours. Well, probably more like six or seven uh, with some of the offline time. And I got all the way to uh, Threed and got uh, murdered by Belch. And then uh, now I'm and then I quit. So now we're here. OK. Anyway, that's me. I actually didn't do that. I, I beat Gigas the normal way. I pulled out a gun and I shot him. <laughs> Very earthbound of you. <laughs> And then, then I shot uh, Pokey too, so now Mother Three doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you did it. You changed it. the The future did not refuse to change. And Earthbound sixty four actually came out. Yeah, man, you live in a you live in a good universe. <laughs> oh no, no, it's okay. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan came back to life. Oh fuck! Oh no. <laughs> so Curry, tell us about your history with this game. Uh, anyway, yes, so removing myself from all the weird bits that I'm making. Uh, that was a bit? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you did this to me, Gohan. Gohan? I'm <laughs> Gohan now? <laughs> yes. That, okay. That too. Anyway, going. Uh, moving on. <clears throat> uh, I first played Earthbound when I was like a pretty young kid, probably... 11 maybe i don't know i i guess i'd rented it at some point uh i remember i liked i a thing i liked to do at the time was pop into other people's files in games to see how far they were because it was usually in a context that i couldn't even consider a spoiler because it was just so far removed from anything i would be able to get to because i was bad at video games and i remember one person i think was in magicant and the other, I think, was in Tucson, and that's where I started playing, I think. I just messed around on there, and I was walking around, and I ended up getting surprised by a blue hippie that started following me, and it chased me out of town. I was absolutely terrified for my life. I ran into a tunnel. A ghost appeared, scared the absolute bejesus out of me, and I slammed the uh, console off <laughs> and never went back to it until a few years later when I discovered on the internet, oh, Earthbound is weird and interesting, and much, much later would go on to actually play it. And I've beaten it twice now. But I, I was I was Coward Rice back in the day, back in my, my baby days. All right, well, Coward, coward Rice, I like that. Um, <laughs> so how about you, No Code? I know you've played this game a lot. Uh, yeah, I played this game, like, I try to get a run-through in at least once a year. I don't know. It's pretty important to me. Uh, the story of how I came to own it is pretty good. Well, not really, but here goes. I uh, I never had an SNES when I was growing up. Um, I, my family was Sega only. My brother actually... Uh, yelled at me and beat me up when I tried to rent an SNES once, which is, you know, great. Wow. I had a friend, I had a friend who I will not name who I used to have sleepovers with and Sega like, fans, play... am I right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, I had this friend and I would go sleep at his house every now and then, well, kind of a lot, and uh, we used to play JRPGs together, he had an SNES, and he had a copy of this game and um, uh, the first time I played this game, I didn't actually play it. I watched somebody else do it. I must have been like 10 or 11. And it was like 
fucking spellbinding. I think I I came in halfway through his playthrough, and um, like at least like a couple times a week for the next little while, we would like spend entire nights uh, just you know living in this tiny world. Uh, we both had kind of shitty families, so it was kind of a good getaway. And um, through a complicated series of events, um, this the cart that he owned um, kind of changed hands a whole bunch of times. It got, it started floating around uh, the people, like the social circle that I knew. And about I don't know, uh, I want to say like eight or nine years later, it somehow ended up in my possession. I traded a two hour drive to another town for the cart that I spent my 10th and 11th year with. And it sits on my shelf now and it's very cool. And the battery's dead. So I can't play it anymore, but it's like, it's like an artifact of my childhood. It's like pretty special to me. That's a wonderful story. I love that. That's, that's perfect. Anyway, I play this game a lot. Um, so it all kind of blurs together in my head for me. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot to say on like poetry and harmony later. Yeah, I think those are going to be our two biggest <laughs> biggest sections, uh, unlike most of the time. Um, uh, one second before you pick this game, so I assume you have a pretty uh, deep history with it. I do have a long history with this game. So I picked it up um, from a used game store called Turbo Video Games in Sarasota, Florida, back when I was nine years old. I used to go there all the time. They were this tiny mom and pop shop and uh, they were really, really nice people. Like I remember one time I went in there with my mom and uh, I wanted to get a used NES console and they had the NES uh, refurbed and everything. And they had the, uh, the light gun, you know, the zapper. And I asked them like they were selling the console on its own. And I, I, being a little kid with little kid logic, was like, well, when this thing came out, it came with the zapper packed in, so you need to pack it in for me. And, I mean, I wasn't that demanding. I was like, please. And they were like, we can't argue with that. And they just gave me the zapper with it. So they were good people. <laughs> Fucking nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so um, sometime, maybe some months or maybe a year after that, I went in there and I saw they had just gotten in Earthbound. And it was a used copy. It was complete in box uh, with the manual, you know, the giant strategy guide that came with it and everything. It was way up high on the wall towards the ceiling. Um, one of those big, you know, special on display type of items. And uh, the strange thing was uh, it was $6. <laughs> oh, God, wow. I can't even imagine. Whoa. They were selling it for $6, complete in box. And uh, this probably, let's see, if I was like nine, this would have been like, uh, oh no, I'm going to reveal my age. This would have been around the mid to late 90s. And uh, I think it was a few years. It must have been like four or five years probably after the game came out. So it was at the period of time where the game failed to sell and everyone thought it wasn't worth anything and people hadn't yet kind of rediscovered it and it hadn't really built up that hype but i had been on the internet as a kid at the time and i had seen everyone talking up this game and talking about how great it was and i was like this is six dollars i have to get it so i convinced my mom uh we got the game and i got very very into it i remember 
<laughs> just I have a lot of random memories with this game. I spent a lot of time with it, and uh, my sister and I played it together a lot. And uh, a random memory I have that I enjoy is uh, people talk a lot. Well, people don't talk a lot about this, but I know that uh, Etoy intentionally wanted this game to be playable one-handed so that you could eat while you're playing the game. And I do recall uh, eating an ice cream cone while fighting the diamond dog. So it did work out that way. Um, I also remember doing the FCAT, the Florida Comprehensive Assessment Test, in fourth grade. And we had to write a little fiction uh, essay for it. And in my essay, I, it was just completely an earthbound pastiche, and it even included the phrase fuzzy pickles. Um, I got a B on it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've played Teacher this game. Teacher had no taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was actually the, um, the state. Uh, some bureaucrats were grading it, you know. Um, they clearly hadn't played earthbound. So, yeah, um, I've played this two or three times. The last time I played it all the way through was about a, a little bit less than a year ago, and I had a great time. Uh, I've played all three of the games, and they're all great. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk about it today. And I just want to say you got that for $6, the complete thing. The cheapest I can find it, it on eBay with the manual, with the big box, with the game, and the scratch and sniff is $450. So, Oh, yeah. And I didn't treat it like it was worth that as a kid. I mean, I've still got all of it, but the box has total water damage. It probably even has mold on it. The, uh, the manual has water damage, although it still holds together okay. But uh, yeah, it's uh, not in the best shape, but that's kids for you. You could probably still get like 200 bucks for it. Anyway, go, sorry, go ahead. The idea of a pristine copy of Earthbound is kind of like, like, I think Earthbound should be a little beat up and worn. I agree. Yeah. My copy is well loved. Yeah. Uh, I have a bit that I forgot. I have a bit. I have a bit that I forgot in my story, but can we save it till the end, please? Oh, yeah. 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 Just want to let. Wanting them all to be well-loved is why I want to buy that $999 copy and poop in it. <laughs> I just want to... There are other ways to show your love, Shrug. That's not true. Your mother should be well-loved. I just want to say that. Sorry. Shrug's got a condition. He can only show how close he is to a person by pooping in something. Just poop. A uh, bachelor... <laughs> How about you? What what you got on, on this game? I'm older than everyone. I bought this game when it came out. I was there on fucking launch day. I went to a mall in upstate New York. I bought this and I bought a record. I'd saved up my goddamn money. And I went home and I played through it over the summer. Maybe it took longer than the summer. And it was one like, you know, I don't have... Not to get all dramatic, but I don't have many fond memories of like, you know, long stretches of time where, you know, it was pretty chill. But this was a pretty good summer. You know, like I didn't have any friends and I didn't have anything going on. It was just me and my records and my guitar and Earthbound. And uh, it had a big impact on me, I suppose, in retrospect. Like at the time, I, you know, I said, oh, that's a really great game. You know, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd say it was my favorite. I do think maybe it's one of the few Super Nintendo games that may be worth playing. That's right, only a few. Um, but I've gone back to it a few times over the years. Like I, when, when uh, I actually got a computer around 
98, 99. I know I, I, I emulated it and beat it. And then, you know, I kept thinking, I don't know if it's going to be as good as I remembered. But then I went back to it in like uh, 2011. I was snowed in. I didn't have a car. I lived in the suburbs, which is, you know, you may as well be snowed in all the time if you live in the suburbs and you don't have a fucking car. And, um, you know, I said I'm going to replay Earthbound. But I, I didn't get that far into it because it was like it was at a point in my time in my life. Uh, lots of bad stuff was happening. I wasn't doing well. My family wasn't doing well. People were dying. <laughs> so like, I'm going to put that on the shelf for a bit. And I came back to it, you know, uh, about a, a year later. And usually, you know, I, when I get back to a game, I do not want to play. It's like, where the fuck am I? I think I stopped right. Um, right after the traffic jam, which I think might, might be my favorite part of the game. And maybe someone will get into it later. But uh, I, I came back to it. And it's just like, you know, it was after like, you know, lots of my family had died. My father had just died. And like, man, this game hit me hard. It was just like, oh, now I suddenly have a bunch of empathy for all these people I, I uh, who raised me. And it's all because of this stupid game. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't belittle it. It's all because of the game. I mean, maybe I could have read a goddamn book or watched a movie, but no, I had I had to I had to watch, play a game to have it happen, and that's okay. That's good. That's, that's it's a pretty good game, I, I think. Yeah, I didn't play it before the podcast, so it's like I'm not. I played this a thousand times. I got a thousand screenshots of it. Sorry for not being that dedicated. I played the fishing game for like ten hours last night, though. We'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you were on on my five hour long stream of this game, so I feel like that's good enough. And then I watched about an hour and a half of that fishing game which wow um yeah so we'll but we'll talk about that um how about you shrug uh, other than pooping in your copy of earthbound what's your history with that i bought for 999 dollars on ebay and 99 cents um, right uh this is the the episode where i am revealed for the uh monster that i am i have basically no history with this game I was also a a a Genesis, a, I'd say a Sega kid, not a Genesis kid. I had a Master System before I had a Genesis, and so when I was ten and this game came out, it would have meant nothing to me. Um, it would not have been available to me. I sometime in the late nineties when I was finally getting around to super nes games on uh our old performa something or other when it got shunted off into my room i'm pretty sure it was in a super nes rom pack that i downloaded from some dodgy site i don't even know how you got those things at the time probably like e-donkey or something Pause while I feel really old. My my ROM site of choice was uh, Plastic Man, which mine was Hotline. Yeah, I just I just I hadn't even thought about like Emule and shit for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I played a few. I've never been a big JRPG person. I was you know. In my late teens, I loaded up Earthbound at some point. I went, 
What is this piece? This sketchy. Uh, I think the charm of the the graphics was lost on me at the time. And as soon as I hit the uh, Dragon Quest battles, a uh, kind of where you can't do anything but hit something with a baseball bat, uh, it was uh, it kind of lost me. And so since then, I've basically only known it by reputation. And while I was trying to play it for this cast, my cat kept climbing onto my computer to block my monitor. Eventually, I put books on the keyboard so she couldn't actually fuck up my emulator while she was doing it. But my my goal, my dream in being here is to somehow come to understand what it is about Earthbound, which I got through uh, a couple hours of, that made my cat want me to not experience it. <laughs> that is what not secrets, how I expected that sentence to end. <laughs> what secrets... Like, I played through a little, I've been looking at people's screenshots. I'm getting, like, I get, it's very charming. I was enjoying my time with it. I'm 35 years old now. I'm no longer 17. I'm or are you? It. Or am I? In this timeline, Reagan is also alive. And he gets, and he he's regained his life by draining other people of their years. I'm a teenager again. Oh dear. Oh, that's uh, weird. He just took my lunch at one point, and that brought him back to life. Oh yeah. Well, lichdom is a complicated thing. <laughs> there are many paths to it. Yeah, I just want to know what my cat was trying to keep me from. What is the conspiracy? We'll find out today on this Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, and it'll be an exclusive. We'll call it an exclusive. I love to say the name of this podcast, Tolpit. What do you feel about this game? What's your history with Earthbound? I also don't have a significant history with this game because I was a PC game playing scum ever since I was a child, so I never even had a Super Nintendo. I'm a fraud. Why am I on this podcast? But I did play the game in emulation when I was 15, I think, and I found it delightful. And it is actually, it was the gateway drug to get me to play Dragon Quest games. That's how I think of Earthbound. We found it, the great schism between Tulpas and Shrugs. Which is what? Uh... I don't really know how to articulate it. I mean, I don't know how to articulate like anything. Versus PC fans. I think I think we're we're talking about those who enjoy Dragon Quest and Shrug. I think that's the two kinds of people. I think Shrug did enjoy Dragon Quest. Oh, it's so it's so wonderful. Anyway, all right. So, okay. So that's. I mean, I think this is all. This is going to be a very interesting cast because uh, not everybody is like 
super duper nostalgic about it. So this will be really interesting. Um, but I have one more thing to say. Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I forgot. Um, so this is true. Um, one time, a cute girl started playing Earthbound on her laptop next to me on a Greyhound bus, and we ended up dating for six months. Nice, Earthbound, hey, bringing people together. She, you got some nests over there, girl. <laughs> Want to see my fuzzy pickle? <laughs> oh, my no. God. oh my God! Oh my God! All right, I'm, I'm sorry. Cast, I'm leaving I, the podcast. <laughs> I cast PSI pray on our future together. Oh, uh, that's not that's not how it works. <laughs> I don't I don't understand this game. You, we should just do the rest of this podcast with Earthbound quotes. Did you turn and say to her, I'm a friend who you have never met before? My name is No Code. That would be slick. That would be uh, not okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did you turn to her and say, I'm wishing to let it linger in my mouth even longer as it cascades down my throat? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. No. The no code became tame. <laughs> okay, let's 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 talk about our uh, topics. Did you here. did you say spankity spankity spankity? I said chakaruni. <laughs> I said that'll do it. That's pretty good. <laughs> I just farted. <laughs> Sorry. No, I actually like behaved like a human being. So you pooped on their laptop to show your love for the game all right let's move on to our first topic yes please which wait did you say if you refuse me i'll say something that'll cut you like a knife fuck god (laughs) this is creepy i didn't i didn't expect this to get creepy so fast all right our first topic is gun Um, and I, mm, this might be kind of short for this one, which is interesting. It's usually our longest topic, but, uh, I, I do feel like as a, okay. So as a kid, I trudged through this game. Like the combat really annoyed me. Um, it, it, it didn't really, um, sit well with me uh, as a person who didn't really do turn-based stuff very much, especially Dragon Quest style, which is like, frankly, very simple. Like you're either strong enough or you're not. And there's not a huge amount of, there, there's a lot of strategy you can put into it, but I was also stupid and I didn't really know. So, um, so as an adult, uh, playing it again for the first time in 15 years, Christ, God, I'm old. Um, Actually, it's almost 20. I probably played this game in 1999. Jesus, fuck. Anyway. <laughs> the last year you can claim to be in the year of Earthbound. That's true. Yeah, because this happens in 1990X, just like Mega Man. Nope, that happens in 20XX. All right. Um, yeah, so anyway, as an adult playing through this, I, I streamed it for about five hours. I actually really enjoyed the combat because it doesn't like take a huge amount of thought most of the time but when it does you actually do have to pay attention but it's also very very like pleasingly brisk most of the battles are very uh short relatively um they 
are have a lot of good impact noises. The backgrounds are always wonderful. The music is great. Um, and you can avoid encounters by walking around enemies for the most part, which is also really nice. So as a, a grizzled adult who has played through a lot of garbage RPGs at this point, I very much appreciated Earthbound's simplicity and kindness when it came to, to battles. Um, but that's that's my take on, on uh, battling, which is the main gun thing. But what do we have for gun? So just... I would agree with that, Clint. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people complain about the battle system in this game because it uses the Dragon Quest framework of, like, just text boxes, right? It's just turn-based, simple text boxes. Uh, but I think that for a game using that framework for battles, I think this one does it better than anyone else ever has. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, People like to use that phrase like quality of life uh, improvements uh, with the battle system in this game that you don't really see elsewhere very often. Um, as you said, there's the thing about all enemies appear uh, in the map and you can walk around them, avoid them. You can sneak up behind them, get a, a surprise hit on them. So that's fun. Um, if you are way higher leveled than an opponent, then the battle just instantly ends. Like you automatically win the battle. Um, which feels pretty good. It's got a fun, like, blip sound effect when it happens. So you're never stuck wasting your time with battles that, you know, you would just win anyways. It just lets you win. Um, there's you might say it's a feel-good game. I would say that, yeah. But there's also an auto uh, auto option where the uh, there's an AI that plays the battles for you. And I think the AI probably isn't that good. But for battles that are, you know, extremely simple ones... You can just set that and it'll just stay on and uh, you don't even have to do anything. You just watch the battle end in two turns. Just everyone picks bash and the battle ends, you know. So uh, I think the system works pretty well. And I think also it uh, there's a surprising amount of weird interactions that can happen in it, uh, which we saw on Clint's stream the other day. He was fighting um, like four miserable little slimes or whatever they were called in uh, Master Belch's factory. They kept on summoning help over and over and over again. Clint wasn't powerful enough to kill them fast enough, and they kept on summoning guys. At one point in desperation, he selected prey, and it was the randomly chosen effect from praying that every single person in the battle suddenly felt very strange, which is kind of like confusion in Pokemon. Your character will just do completely stupid random actions. And... uh it caused uh, Ness to use a um, cup of life noodles to resurrect one of the uh, miserable little slimes, making it even worse for Clint. It was a great, a great thing to watch. <laughs> yeah, that was miserable. <laughs> I believe that uh, it was Clint's choice to use the cup of life noodles, but because of the confusion, it led to him uh, resurrecting one of the enemies with it. Yeah. Yeah. I chose to, I was trying to resurrect one of my party members and ended up resurrecting a, a, a miserable little pile of secrets. Um. <laughs> Does anyone else interpret the, uh, the strange feeling as like an anxiety attack? Cause it seems really, uh, appropriate. Absolutely. Actually, because a couple of the enemies, uh, there's the mole and then there's something else. Uh, they inflict that status on themselves by assessing the situation. So they're looking at your party and they're like, oh, uh, God. <laughs> Which, oh, yeah, that's true. That does happen. That yeah. is a that's a actually. Yeah, that's a very uh, accurate reading of it, I would think. Especially because anxiety seems to be something that these games touch on well. 
particularly Mother One, I think it, or at least I feel that the music is rather terrifying at times and rather elating at other times. I thought since it was, you know, a vagueness to it, I thought maybe it was just some sort of like censored way of, you know, you're feeling horned up. Also that you're a kid, so you don't really know. Or you're a mole, you know, like you're just feeling something. Never mind. Sometimes <laughs> a mole looks at a kid with a baseball bat and he wants to fuck that baseball bat. You know? <laughs> He's never seen a baseball bat before, but he wants that baseball bat to be down in his burrow. In um, terms of in terms of the, the, the battle system being kind, um, it's kind like also in the way that they're written i'm not really sure how else to put that like right out of the gate um when you're going on your first mission to check out the meteorite with pokey and your dog like pokey will just do random funny shit uh instead of being helpful and so paying attention to the battle to see these little like uh like little funny character bits makes them a lot more tolerable because they happen all the time and that's a great way of characterizing him and um god i'm so tired we're all tired (laughs) yeah a great way of characterizing him and making you feel something about him through the lack of mechanics (laughs) like you don't have control over this person you're not he's not doing anything to help you and there's just sort of this oh, come on Pogi, you could be like why can't you be more like my dog yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're more you my dog is more useful than you so right out of the gate you have this picture of his character based on the arbitrary shit he's doing other than punching a snake i just think that like uh like those little snip, those little character bits are indicative of what this game is best at, which is like, it doesn't uh, waste any space. It doesn't waste that text box during the battles. Um, like it'll give you something, even if it isn't mechanical. That's true. And the character really comes through in battles. I mean, not just with Pokey, but throughout the game, different enemies are kind of characterized in funny or silly ways uh, based on the way that they behave. I think that, um, You know, one of the biggest strengths of Earthbound, and maybe the strength of Earthbound is in its writing, and I'm thinking now, hearing you talk about this, that perhaps uh, it's actually a good thing, really, that the battle is text-based in that way. I mean, it it allows the writing to even extend into the mechanics. Yeah. Yep. That's a really great point. And yeah, and I I also feel like it it really illustrates what I think is going to become very clear in that Earthbound is, like you said, it doesn't waste a moment of time at all. And it's just packed to the gills, like every little interaction, even stuff that's sort of like just telling you where to go or trying to push you in a certain direction or giving you tutorials, all of it has a purpose other than that which is to make you laugh or to make you sad or to make it makes you feel something even if it's just a little tiny bit um it's never just you know the monster is in the mountains in the north it's it's always something stupid to go along with that which is great um and the enemies like okay here's the thing that happens somewhat frequently in in dragon quest lrpgs an enemy will waste a turn doing nothing um just to make it a little easier on you um, you know, or, or sometimes they're like charging up or something like that. And a lot of enemies in Earthbound do this, but they all have little different ways of doing it. It's never the same text box. Like the, 
like the crows that steal your shit will just like I, f- I think they laugh or something creepy. Um, the you know the other things will just not be paying attention or they wander around or like you know the, the, it characterizes the enemies beyond just being a sprite that smacks you in the face. Um, <laughs> so it's yeah a- every inch of this game is is filled with care. Um, which I think separates it from a lot of other RPGs that just try to go for we need content, just do as many things as possible, you know. So, yeah. So, so one of the things that I would say about uh, the game mechanics is that it is very intentionally chosen to be a Dragon Quest like uh, game because mechanically those are so simple that uh, its purpose is to just be a neutral kind of experience that uh, allows you to enjoy the things about this game that are very well executed, which is the writing. Yeah, this game really sells the Dragon Quest format, but it doesn't really, like, uh, mess with the basic mechanical, like, structure of it in any way at all. To quote Shigesato Itoi, um, his appearance as a judge in... The Iron Chef. Earthbound is a steak to enjoy bell peppers with a reverse approach. <laughs> um, like, I'm a big fan of Dragon Quest. Like, I think Dragon Quest 1's an underrated game, but I also think to actually play it, you actually have to sit there and you have to fast forward through it. Like, I wouldn't play the mobile versions. Mobile versions are ugly as fuck. You go and you sit down with an NES emulator and you fast forward through Dragon Quest 1 and you're going to beat it in the night. And that's how I feel like with a lot of um, RPGs. Like, I just want them to be as fast as possible and they waste too much of my time. And I kind of took that approach when I replayed Earthbound a few years ago. Like, I'm like... Okay, it's got these battles. I don't need to think, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to fast forward through them. And I really think it kind of spoiled the game for me. Because when I came back to it, I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm going to like try, try my hardest to play as if I'm actually playing on a Super Famicom, which I do whenever I game or stream. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm always, I play on real hardware during game or streaming. But for research and such, it's much easier to just emulate the cartridges I all actually own. So when I replayed it, when I went back to it, I just sat there and I, I tried to play it as if it was a Super Nintendo game. And it, it has a better rhythm that way, I think, when you actually... um, Like a lot of JRPGs, they're just so goddamn slow. And then when you fast forward, you just realize how there is nothing to it. Or when you cut out the battles, like Bravely Default. I know some people like that game. That game is bullshit. That game, like... All the dialogue is people sexually harassing each other. And like when you can take out the, the battles and then you realize there is nothing to this game. But with Earthbound, if you sit there and you actually kind of sit through the battles and you enjoy the flavor text, it's got this nice, pleasing rhythm to it. And uh, if you do ever play it, I do recommend just taking the time and smelling those roses. And, you know, it is like what? What a toy said about the steak and the bell peppers and shit. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, another thing about having this battle system the way it is, this Dragon Quest style, I think that, and I I do believe that uh, Etoy thought about this, and this was one of the reasons he chose that system, is that 
uh, anyone can get through it. You know, I mean, you don't have to be good at games to get through this game. Sometimes it can be difficult, but you can take the time and grind and you can get strong enough that you can easily get through anything. You know, it's not like an action game where, uh, you know, in this level of Mario, you fall off this pit every time. It's like you you're just not good enough to get through it. It's it's gatekeeping. But this game doesn't really gatekeep. And uh, I remember hearing at some point or reading. I don't remember the details, but I know that one of the mother games um there was an ad campaign for it in Japan and the slogan, it was like in magazines that you wouldn't normally see an ad for a game in. And the slogan was something like, this is a game that your sister wants to play or your sister can enjoy or something like that. Like he really wanted this game and this series to be accessible even to people that might not normally pick up a game. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, I mean, that's always been kind of the Dragon Quest thing in general, and they make it more clear in this game that that's, it's even, even more like that. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely, so I fast-forwarded a lot through, through the game when I was younger, too, because I was playing it on an emulator. I made the choice this time to not fast-forward as much as I could. Sometimes I get a little uh, little weird, and I get bored. But um, I feel like, yeah, I really benefited from feeling the rhythm of this game. Um, I also didn't use save states except in a couple of instances where I was just like, testing things out. I mean, come on, I'm a researcher. Um, but And that really helped, too, because I think previously when I played it, I didn't die a lot because I would save and load and save and load until I got the exact right circumstances, which actually meant I was underpowered a lot of the time, but I also never really experienced the death thing. Death is really uh, simple in this game. You lose half your money, you go back to the last place that you slept. Um, and, okay, okay, more more stuff. Uh, there's a delayed gratification thing with battles where you get money for killing things, but... You don't get the money uh, as soon as you do it. You, Your dad deposits money into your bank account, and you only know how much you've earned by checking your ATM or calling him, which you can only do in certain spots. Um, but the, the money in the ATM is safe. So if you die, you only lose the money that you have on you, and only half of that even. So as long as you're not Just carrying like a ton of money. Life. Yeah, just like in real life. Well, it is like in real life. Your bank account should be safe if you get mugged. No death taxes. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> so that that's kind of nice too. So I, when you die, it sometimes is is just a good way of of continuing to level up. You're going to go through the same spot again. It's probably going to be way easier now that you've leveled up quite a bit from doing it the first time. And by the time you get back to that gnarly boss, you're probably going to be powerful enough to kill it. So, um, anyway, that's the old, uh, that's the old dragon quest one way of doing things, right? Yeah. That's the old, the old personality test of, are you going to keep going back to heal yourself or are you going to cast aside your, uh, worldly, uh, capital and just, keep on getting smushed into the mud until you can finally walk through it. <laughs> yeah, and that's... Well, I, I will say the one penalty is that your PP, your which is basically your magic points in this game... My PP. My PP. <laughs> oh my god. Fuck. Um, it doesn't recharge when you die, and I think it actually zeroes out. So you generally want to sleep in a hotel anyway to get your magic back, because that's really important. Um, but yeah, there, so there is some cost to just slamming your face into... A challenge, and it also encourages you to use your magic because if you die, you're going to lose it all anyway. 
Um, magic, and by magic, I, of course, mean Psy, P-S-I. So, anyway. You all may enjoy your stays at hotels, but I'm a true wilderness expert, and I subsist entirely on the meat of butterflies. <laughs> Speaking of money, I found a screenshot, a photograph, actually, of my old copy of Earthbound. Guess how much I paid for it. Oh, I think I see it in chat, but you got to tell me. 69 US dollars. Nice, 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 nice. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> God damn it! Plus ninety nine cents. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be part of this sham. <laughs> and tax, which no I believe is eight percent. Look, it's close enough, baby. Sixty. The gesture is there. Ninety nine. The sixty nine. Where. So part of it is mirrored and you're just spooning and it's nice and comfortable. Ninety-nine is the earthbound of sixty-nines. Um ninety-nine comes after sixty-nine. It's just nice and comfy. It's the healthy way to do it. Well sixty-six comes before sixty-nine as well, which is basically the same thing except you're upside down in the bed, I guess. Hmm. Um Shit, what else? There's a bunch of, actually, now that I think about it, there's a bunch of weird little mechanics in this game that's really, that are really interesting. And I've, fuck, I had one I was going to talk about and I forgot. Condiments. Condiments. So there's. No, I'm sorry. Hold on. I, I, it, the 66 thing just hit me and I'm laughing about it. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what are they doing there? <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah, condiments. You can buy condiments at one part of the game and they will automatically get sprinkled on your food before you eat it. And there's like eight of them. And some of them will give you benefits depending on the food. And some of them will actually make the food worse. And so it all depends. Like if you buy hot sauce and eat a cookie, it's going to actually heal you less. But the hamburger will probably heal you more. It's weird. And I never really dug into that at all because the game's easy enough. You don't really need to. And plus, I didn't want to waste one of my limited (laughs) inventory spots on it. It's a nice little thing, but I've I've never actually engaged with it. Though I did at one point try to eat something. Oh wait, I think like fucking I. Well, okay, I was gonna say that I had someone drink a bottle of water and they added the jar of deli sauce to it, but I don't think that's right. But it was like some small piece of food, like a cookie, and it automatically put the jar of deli sauce on it. And I'm like, oh god, that's really expensive. Don't do that. That now, okay. Do condiments only work once? Because that seems like totally defeating the point the the way the condiments work is uh yeah they just increase the bonus on the things though the first time i played through earthbound and actually finished it i found the rock candy glitch by accident so wow i go ahead and explain the glitch yes yeah i don't Uh, know what it is (laughs) the rock candy glitch is if you have rock candy as your last inventory item and a bunch of sugar packets, uh, you or any condiment, I think, but sugar packets were the most effective for rock candy in general because sweet things go together. You will only use up the sugar packet and not the rock candy itself, so you will just constantly increase your stats. If you use it in battle. That's, yes, a, if you that's an important battle. detail. But yeah, uh, and you can just use that to infinitely up your stats during a battle, 
And occasion, and like if you do it recklessly, you can cause it to overflow back to zero. Oh shit, that's awesome! Oh man, I love this. <laughs> that's funny too because that is a lot like the Pokemon Missing No Rare Candy glitch, where you can uh, encounter Missing No in the right place at the right time, and uh, your items will go up to ninety nine of them. Um, and I believe that uh, the people who made Pokemon, there were a lot of people in common with the people that made Earthbound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my understanding as well, although I don't know the details. I haven't looked it up in a very long time. Yeah, I think that Ape became Game Freak or something of that nature. I, I think so, or at least some of the people from Ape. I don't. You know. want to back up that, Glenn? No, but I just heard that there was a lot of uh, people in common, that's all. Nintendo is the Illuminata, you've heard it here. I am looking it up right now. Uh, Creatures Inc. is a Japanese video game development company affiliated with the Pokemon Company. It was founded by Tsunakazu Ishihara in November 1995 with the assistance of Nintendo Satoru Iwata as a successor to Shigesato Itoi's company Ape Incorporated. It is well known for producing Pokemon trading cards and toys. Hmm. Okay, maybe not then. (laughs) Weird. Weird. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Basically the same exact thing. I uh, I think maybe in my... like Okay, so we've said that the battle system is very simplistic and that it's like one-to-one with Dragon Quest with barely any change, but I find that it's rather different. Though, even though uh, it does focus on the little things, which I think that Earthbound does best, uh, I think that its inclusion of the health uh, speedometer thing is a really nice little touch where if uh, an enemy does a suicide bomb attack and it tries to kill all of your characters, then you can uh, survive it if the battle ends before your HP rolls all the way down, or you can possibly heal yourself to save it. I think that's actually a brilliant idea that adds a bit of character to an otherwise completely... uh, characterless uh, video game abstraction. It's a really elegant way to add some urgency to something that has no real urgency. So That is also true. I've always had the uh, sorry, I've always had the complaint with this game, and this is just very minor, that the the rolling HP counter seems great on paper, but it rolls too quickly for it to ever be useful, except for the gimmick of uh, fighting those trees in in the valley that burst into flames. Oh, it becomes, like, it's something that I frequently used, um, especially in the late game, where enemies will easily one-shot you, but you find yourself trying to healing to offset that yeah, oh, I've, of, so, I've oh, never actually experienced it. I usually, I, I don't think I've ever actually had to contend with it at all uh, when I played it, the game. It is uh, worth noting that the that the uh, actual uh, interrupting the the winding down of that doesn't really start kicking in until either the valley or the uh, traffic jam. Your HP isn't really long enough for it to count, I think, for it to register. And so it always just kind of gets to zero before you can get through the buffer that is in between each red uh, line in the combat dialog box. And so, yeah, that's like... 
it's something that they explain, I think, shortly before it starts kicking in. Yeah, which is it that's, just good those are the trees I was talking about because uh, their thing is like right before they die, they deal a, a huge amount of damage, and then you just have to rush through the end of the dialogue in order to live. Or if you're stupid like I've been, you kill the tree first, and there's another enemy remaining, and they just kill you. <laughs> Yeah. Sounds like someone isn't very MLG. I'm not very MLG. I forgot to give uh, Belch the fly honey, so he poisoned me, and then I did give him the fly honey so he wouldn't attack me anymore, uh, but I was poisoned and died anyway, so uh, that's me. That's me. Yeah, like, I only played this game multiple times. I didn't know about the spinning thing. It seems, I think it makes no goddamn difference. I feel like, like I, oh, sorry, I didn't ahead. know about it until like I read about it online. It's like, oh, what? Yeah, that actually matters. It, it, I think it, it's such a minor thing in actual practice. Like if you are just going to play through this game without knowing about it, it doesn't matter. I'm with Tulpa. That's weird because I definitely felt like it made a big difference in a lot of battles towards the late game for me. I wonder if it might have to do with how, how low MLG low. you are. Well, that and also how high your level is and, like, how much you've got a buffer, you know. I don't know. It's something that you can take advantage of if you pay attention to it, but you don't have to. Yeah, it's, like, it, it is a very good idea on paper. I was just uh, underwhelmed with uh, how it was implemented in the game because I never actually had to or could take advantage of it, for that matter, because... Of the way I play JRPGs, I refuse to grind for levels at any point, so I'm usually far under-leveled and have to use up a million items in order to get through uh, bosses. Twinsies. That reminds me, I do actually want to, since we're in the gun segment, I want to talk about how Mother 2 handles grinding. And by Mother 2, for those there who don't know somehow, that uh, Mother 2 is the Japanese name for Earthbound. But, um, so I, in the 90s, uh, it was just a matter of fact that almost every JRPG was going to make you grind as a means of padding out the game length. This was just a thing that a lot of people accepted at the time. Um, it has aged very poorly in that sense, not this game, but the concept of grinding. Um, though there are people such as myself who, in an attempt to, you know, enjoy it more, have found their own little forms of appreciation for it, like I have used, uh, RPG grinding as a form of, um, somewhat quasi-meditation when I am dealing with a very stressed thing in my life. I can just tune out and do the muscle memory, the repeated actions, and make, watch the numbers go up. I listen to audio books or podcasts while grinding. And that that's also a thing you can do. Um, it's it's a it's a way to do another thing. It's not an elegant solution to a game anymore, to game length anymore, but it was a thing back in the day, and if it's a thing you want to go back and play it, then it's a thing you have to cope with. But what I wanted to talk about with what was a uh, was that uh, in Earthbound, there are many little handouts that the game gives in order to facilitate grinding to make it easier. Uh, there are uh, there's the magic butterflies, which are the biggest thing. They are the little butterflies that fly around in the outside world, occasionally in towns, usually not in towns because unless the town has enemies. And often they will be in a room or area by themselves in a dungeon. Uh, 
If you touch them, every character in the party heals 20 hit points, which means uh, if you just keep going off screen and coming back and respawning the butterfly, you can easily keep healing yourself and facilitate a better grinding spot than if you were to go out, fight enemies, come all the way back to a hotel, heal, save, go all the way back out like in another RPG, which would be difficult, especially in a game where the towns are this big. And it, and the fact that it's mid-dungeon where you're allowed to grind really helps if you are a ways into a dungeon and realizing that you're a bit, uh, you're in a bit over your head. There are also a few points in the game, such as in Master Belch's factory, where you run into uh, the foppies, which are these little featureless enemies that uh, Master Belch seems to be creating. And there's definitely uh, something a friend pointed out recently. Uh, there's definitely a metaphor going on there with the garbage, slime, capitalists uh, creating bland, emotionless uh, workers to run the factory. But the Foppies are one-hit enemies that give out a buttload of experience. They group up six at a time. They, like, three times out of four do nothing and the uh, or are, like, doing uh, psychic abilities that ultimately fail every time. Uh, One-fourth out of the time, they will hit you for very low damage. Uh, there's a ladder that you can just keep going up and down it, and it scrolls the screen and causes uh, foppies to just come up in huge groups. They will swarm you. You will beat them easily. And it's a very low effort moment with very high reward. And after possibly struggling with enemies, especially in the Peaceful Valley right before this with the exploding trees and the and the, the gators and the all the mean animals, uh, it's a it's it's a it's a very interesting moment um of like just the game giving you a big reward for just getting there and being like hey if you want to if you want to power through here here's a really good spot to just get that out of the way just tune out for maybe half an hour if you want or less and just get that done there's a there's a a moment later on in the game as well, there's the criminal caterpillars in the desert, which are in some of the deserts, which are a little harder to do because other enemies will try to swarm you in the meantime. But it's uh, the foppies in particular is an, a very interesting moment to me and one of my favorite moments in the game just because of what it represents in terms of the communication from game designer to uh, the player. Yeah, and I do believe that that was intentional for sure. I mean, it feels intentional in the game, but I remember that um, in the player's guide that came with the game, they do like tell you about that, and they're like, hey, you should think about uh, wiping out the foppy population or whatever. And uh, they do mention the guys in the desert as well. Yeah, and I, I think... Oh, I do want to mention... You, you said that the butterflies heal hit points. They actually heal your, your magic, your PP. Uh, Sorry, that's what I meant. They heal your your psychic points yeah yeah so which is even use that to heal yeah it's much nicer than just healing your hit points because you essentially have an unlimited well of healing at that point plus it powers up your spells your your psychic abilities and you can just smash things and come back and do it again so um yeah i like those little butterflies they're very nice (laughs) took me a while to figure out what those did the first time i played it because it just says 
the butterfly makes Ness feel relaxed or something like that, uh, which doesn't really isn't really explaining anything. But I finally I figured it out. I think by yeah, Jason. It, it definitely it takes a little bit of paying attention because it is super not clear. Uh, there might actually be someone. Uh, there might be a mole because there are moles who like to exp- uh, early in who will explain mechanics to you and stuff. But I mean. This is the day and age where everyone thinks they know enough about the games that they don't have to talk to moles in their lives. Talk to moles, kids. Moles there's know a, everything. There's a guy in on it that will rave about, or one it, I don't know, uh, that will rave about magic butterflies just kind of randomly. I think he's in the bakery. I think you're right. I remember talking to that guy. I was like, oh, well, they must do something good, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so we've been on gun for a long time. I'd like to move on to our next section, but do I, I, I don't want to miss anything. What other major gun things uh, would we like to talk about here? Uh, the only other things I would talk about uh, are regarding the level design early on, but that can go into vanity just as comfortably. But I feel like vanity will all be about the writing. I'll just yeah. put it here. I do uh, think. Oh, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I noticed is that as soon as you start playing and you go out and you are going to uh, look at the meteor, um, if you just wander off to the side a little bit, you have you get a little bit of uh, foreshadowing just in how the map is arranged, and that you can see giant step. Uh, as the first, like, real landmark right off to uh, the left of uh, the hill where the meteor is. And I thought that was an interesting bit of uh, map design, I guess. Yeah, just kind of putting it in the way that the player is going to see it as they pass and say, oh, that's weird and unique, and then see someone later being like giant step is a place for people to go if they're on a magical adventure and you're like oh i saw that there are a few i'm dropping i'm sorry i'm dropping the screenshot into the chat for context there are a few other points in which the game does that too but the i think the most um the most memorable one is when you actually you can accidentally go into the cave of the uh, you can accidentally go to the cave of the past um just like just hear the music and witness it uh, a little bit while you're going through i think the last dungeon before the cave of the past yeah i i did that on the first time i beat it i went to the cave of the past early and i was like what the fuck and that music is so awesome too and creepy that that like yeah yeah okay sorry go on <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that later in Vanity because I think that that's a thing that happened to me too. The initiation to noise music, but uh, another thing for Gun is that um, there are a lot of really good comedy items that you can use in battle. Like you get these items that get kind of sometimes they get really hyped up. Like there's a um, when you go to Berglin Park in in Tucson or Tucson or whatever, uh, it's this like um, open air market, and there's a guy who's selling rulers, and he's making a huge deal about. It. He's like, these are the greatest rulers on earth. Like these are amazing. See so, how uh, you stack up against Luigi. <laughs> yeah. So when you buy the ruler, uh, you can use it in battle, and it's just like you measure the enemy and like nothing happens. There's also a protractor that's like that to measure the angles of things during battle that does not work. People were trying to figure those items out for years. 
It's like there's to, gotta be something. It's like Magikarp Splash. It's gotta do something. Uh, they totally. help. They help Jeff um, invent stuff. Oh really? No, <laughs> that's yeah. not true. See, I've always just heard dependent on IQ. I've just always heard people claim that they help Jeff aim his bottle rockets, but I don't think that's actually true. Or if it, it might is, be, it might be one of those urban legend things. Like uh, in Pokemon, if you press the A button every time the ball rolls, then you're more likely to catch the Pokemon. Like that kind of thing. The the actual effect of the ruler is it helps Jeff feel tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm looking up the ruler and the protractor and the, i'm not seeing anything that says it helps him uh do anything uh jeff can fix items overnight by the way if you have uh broken items in his inventory he will fix them um which is weird. i feel like if they do have any use then they will be discovered by the cutting room floor and i was looking through that page for it recently and it's very in-depth there's a lot of stuff in there because the mother games have a lot of unused music and unused sprites, but uh, and unused like cutscenes, especially in the case of Mother Three. But uh, there's absolutely nothing on those items. Um, my favorite comedy item is the Suporma, which is the Super Orange Machine. Um, in is it two? I think it's Tucson, not three. There's it is, uh, it is yes, Tucson. Tucson. Okay, yeah. There's a uh, there's an apple kid and an orange kid who live next door to each other. Orange kid's house is gorgeous, very nice, uh, upscale. And then apple kid's house is a total dump. It's like messy. It's falling apart. It's disgusting. They're both inventors and they're both well known throughout town. Orange kid is totally hyped up. Everyone loves orange kid. All the ladies are always following orange kid everywhere and talking him up and everything. And apple kid, meanwhile, is very humble. You know, relaxed guy that people talk down to. Um, so you can fund them both to build their next machines. You give them some money. Uh, Orange Kid asks for way more money than Apple Kid, and he really hypes it up. And finally, after you pay him a ton of money and give him a ton of time, you return, and Orange Kid gives you the Suporma, and he promises that this thing is going to like revolutionize everything. So you go into a battle, you use it, and it plays a song about how great Orange Kid is and then breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> I never bothered to pay him, so that's great. Yeah, I just used that item as soon as I got it, and it does the same thing just in the fields. There's a lot of items that don't have a natural purpose. I love that. that I love that they just have u- a unique one-off interaction. It's uh, it's like that. I mean, it, it's all part of that thing I mentioned before about you know Mother Two being a very. Uh, postmodern game particularly for the time when that was not a thing you saw a lot like i i can't discount the pc game scene but it seemed like uh like uh earthbound was a like prime example of postmodern uh game thinking on console does anybody have any feelings about the limited inventory system because it's generally controversial it's kind of frustrating. I don't like it. Yeah, that's like the one mechanical thing about Earthbound I think that I cannot excuse. It's so annoying. I just I I, I, I love just, conservative space in games, but like damn, do I just constantly like I'm like, "What? I can't put this uh I can't put your new item in my backpack cuz there's five cups of life noodles in here cuz I'm a stupid idiot." <laughs> Yeah, well, I, 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 I just agree. accepted that I would throw away hamburgers constantly, like the the wasteful American consumer I am. <laughs> no, I, I, I think move on. Never mind, move it's on. actually good. 
I think the biggest problem is that your important items sit in your inventory as well. So like, and it's not, not true, not true, not true, not true. Most of them do. Escargo Express. Well, that's the thing though. Like, it's not clear to me as an idiot what is going to be useful in the future and what is not. Um, so I ended up around two, like the end ish of Tucson, um, with, only two inventory spots that I could move stuff around. And I needed it. So you can go, you can call uh, Escargo Express or whatever, Escargo, um, and they will take stuff away for you for a very small charge and store it, and then you can get it back later, which is great. Um, but I just hadn't used it. It's kind of irritating. I didn't like the inventory management. I never did, um, especially because a lot of the things that you need to pick up sit in your inventory. And so it's like you talk to Holly to get the key. She goes through her whole speech and is like, oh, you don't have room in your inventory. So I go in, throw away a hamburger, go through a whole speech again so I can get the goddamn key or whatever it was, not a key, the Franklin badge. Um, it's... I didn't like that. I wish there were maybe two extra spots per person. Um, that would be nice. I think nice. that would probably be enough. It's, um, I, I do find it a little also annoying that um, the way you rearrange your items in a person's pack is that you take the item, you give it to themselves, and then it goes right to the bottom. And that's it. That's the best you can do. Is that? So I never figured that I, out. I had, um, when I got the heavy bazooka for Jeff, I wanted it to be at the top of his menu so that I could easily select it because it became better than his regular gun attack. And so I had to give him each and every one of his items besides the the heavy bazooka so that it could work its way up to the top. It was kind of ridiculous. Um... I uh, another little fun detail is that uh, in this playthrough, uniquely to my other playthroughs, is by the time I got to Magicant near the end of the game, um, I actually filled up the escargot uh, storage system. I was surprised. There were so many things that I was like, uh, maybe I'll use this later. That they were like, oh, we can't take anymore. You gave us too goddamn many things. Amazing. Stop <laughs> I never finished stop giving that. us all those defense sprays. Earthbound is a rare game that actually teaches you lessons and you should get rid of every single thing you own that applies to digital things. You don't need shit. Entirely possible. Oh, another uh, thing that I thought of. I'm sorry that I just keep... I've just been the most talkative this podcast. Um, but the uh, the for sale sign is like the most important item in the game until you are swimming in money at the end of the game. So just like, don't throw away your things sell them wait, go to the middle of a dungeon and wait for somebody to come to you in like three seconds it's also the funniest item it's so just funny like, it's just so great i'll be i only had two moments where it didn't work and one of them is where i was far down in the earth with the dinosaurs and i could not that people were like I don't think you're taking this seriously enough. I'm not going to walk all the way there. And another time was when I was in Magicant. And if you've gotten there, uh, you, you, you know why they can't get there. So yeah, the for sale sign, you put it down and uh, an NPC, a random NPC just comes on over and buys stuff from you. Like you can just sell it to them. But it's great because the game has to draw pathing for the, the character sprite so that they walk through the environment that you're in to reach you. And sometimes if you're in a particularly 
you know, maze-like area. They'll have to go through a whole big path just to get to you. And there are three different things where that happens. There's that. Uh, there's the uh, delivery people we've been been talking about, Escargo Express. And then there's also Mock Pizza. And all three of them, when you kind of call them, they have to go through the world and the pathing. I think, do you ever get a phone you can use in the field, or do you always have to use it from? You just get the receiver. Okay, because I, I have this memory of calling Escargo Express like from the middle of a dungeon, but I think that's just my memory. I don't think that's real. There, There's at least one dungeon where there is a, f- a payphone inside the dungeon, so like, and Maybe. It's, it's earthbound. They love to do that. Like, the Dungeon Man dungeon has uh, benches you can sleep on, like, one each floor, and there's a couple phones. Okay, that's probably what I'm thinking of then. Is that so? Okay, um, I okay. Any, any other important gun notes? Because I really I would like to move on, uh, <laughs> lest this cast become three hours or four or five or six. <laughs> I thought the bazooka in the mailbox in the opening was pretty cool, but I couldn't find a way to use it in the menus. Um, Is that Fallout? Uh, what's Fallout? Uh, that's when a I nuclear this bomb. Was about Earthbound. <laughs> is Earthbound Fallout about a nuclear is, bomb? Fallout is a dark fantasy RPG by uh, Bioware, and it's full of sex. There's a lot yes. of sex. It's full of sex. It's Earth. full of queers like ourselves. Is so Earthbound is a sex game? Yeah, yeah. That's post nuclear sex adventure. Welcome yeah. to Earthbound, a post-nuclear sex adventure. <laughs> Bachelor already said it cost him $69 to buy it, so... 69. Yeah, Earthbound is actually just off of the leather goddesses of Phobos. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's move on to our next topic, which is Vanity. And I, okay, so I was like, oh, gun's going to be kind of short. Then we spent an hour on it. Now let's talk about Vanity. This one will be short, right? No, it's not going to be short. This game is incredible. No. <laughs> hey, guys, what do you think of the music of this game? It's good. Let's move on. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Clint, Clint was saying that one of the composers was involved in some Takeshi Kitano movies, and I looked that up, and it looks like he did the stuff for his Zatoichi movie and the Outrage films. Wow. I don't remember I don't remember anything notable about the scores for the Outrage movies, but the Zatoichi uh, deal was interesting and there's some interesting percussion in it. So maybe check that out sometime. That Zatoichi movie is uh, is pretty Interesting. <laughs> Note to listeners, those are not comedies. <laughs> Back to Earthbound. Uh, Zatoichi's kind of like a dry comedy. Yeah, I would say Zatoichi probably counts as half comedy. Though, okay. Well, I mean, I'm I surprised. should say it's definitely not going to have the tone of Earthbound if you are coming from here. It has I, some very comical CGI blood sprays. I am genuinely surprised that none of Takeshi Kitano's actual comedies uh, have... Are funny? Have to... <laughs> no, I genuinely like Ichijiro. Yeah, that, that is a pretty good one. 
I, li- I like Takeshi's no, Castle. Getting any isn't very good. And no, I, I, meant that, I meant that Hip Tanaka didn't do the soundtracks for any of the actual comedies, which are tonally a lot closer to Earthbound. Isn't it weird how Getting Any is heavily featured in Earthbound? I mean, okay. subtextually. Um, the music in Earthbound is... Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. I remember Very this game. good. Um, it's actually, like, very experimental and weird for a Super Nintendo game. There's nothing on the Super Nintendo that sounds anything like this game's soundtrack whatsoever. Uh, Pilot Wings. Well, Pilot Wings sounds like the prettier stuff in Earthbound, but Earthbound gets experimental and kind of noisy, as No Code mentioned earlier. Uh, it, just a cheetah. There's a bit of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of Aphex Twin like in a lot of Earthbound. A lot of the battle music, especially, there's a lot of like very weird stuff. It, it was, it's got the vibe of like a legit electronic musician who's like putting out IDM albums or something just put into this video game. It felt like they were really trying to hit, go against the boundaries of what you can do with the Super Nintendo's. Uh, the nub? Yeah, and the nub. That's not a game. <laughs> no. It's definitely a, it's a, it's a game. Nub. I've played some games with the nub. 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 <laughs> Um, it's the only good-sounding Super Nintendo game that wasn't composed by Silvio Silvio Oka, composer of Pilot Wings Super Mario Kart. J- Super right. sucks. But Drift, came, Drift Game Two has a great fucking soundtrack. Yeah, no shit. And that that was good, and we got that. I'm gonna play that Vaporwave remix by Tulpa right now. Because I use any excuse to play that. Um, <laughs> oh no! It's... Play the Aerobiz one too. Wait, what? Play the Aerobiz one, too. Well, I'll play that at the end underneath all of the, the comments maybe that we get. Um, so, no, I'm not going to Well, anyway, what I was going to be getting at here was that um, I think it's pretty rare to see experimental electronic music that's targeted directly to children. <laughs> you don't get that a lot. And I was trying to think of other situations where I can, you know, think of that happening before. The only thing that's coming to mind is the BBC Radiophonic Workshop in the 60s and uh, early 70s. Uh, the BBC had a division that was um, kind of pioneering uh, electronic tape music and loops um, and putting it directly into children's programming. And I think it influenced um, a lot of British children to go on to make pretty intense, bizarre and interesting music later on in like the 80s and 90s. So uh, I think that had an effect, like Earthbound had an effect like that as well uh, to a lot of people that played it. It's also worth mentioning that the, um, well, I think that the music for this game is really like really amazing in the way that it's like versatile. Like it runs the gamut of it runs, it runs through any kind of tone that you could imagine. Um, it also quotes really heavily from like psychedelic music, the Beatles, especially. And I don't have the samples too. Yeah. 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 Like what is it? The title screen. Wait, one of the screens, I think maybe the, the naming screen. screen has a Monty, Monty Python sample. And then I think the character create screen has the, the Sergeant Pepper sample. And there's, there's a bunch of samples. In this no, the character screen has uh, Shijisato Itoi saying, okay, Jessica. Wow. I know and that the, the, way know it... the Sergeant Pepper song is uh, sampled in the Dungeon Man 
theme when he's walking around behind you anyway. That, like, yeah, it's the drums from Sergeant Pepper, just like the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, like that. And the way exactly it, like that. And the way it quotes from Pink Floyd's Interstellar Overdrive, thus prefiguring death grips. It does uh, that's from wait, does it quote from that one or does it quote from a different Pink Floyd song? I thought it quoted from Welcome to the Machine, but that might have been a playlist someone made. I was making something up. Oh, so. uh, there is actually a quote from a Pink Floyd bit in here for one of the dungeons. It's pretty great. That's amazing. Like, the, yeah, the, it really goes to show that this soundtrack has chops, I guess. Like, it, it goes from very sort of cheery, like, video gamey stuff in Onet to some very disturbing music. Like, not even that far in. We're not talking, like the end of the game there's really weird atmospheric shit uh that doesn't have anything to do even with what's going on like when i think of atmospheric super nintendo music i think of secret of evermore which has a lot of wind blowing and like you know instruments kind of playing here and there it's it's not strong melodies it's just some stuff going on uh it's not like that it's weird electronic beeps and boops and all this amazing stuff um so yeah the the fact that they're sampling and quoting from other music really says to me that they knew what they were doing like from the beginning this wasn't an accident you know um it's got amazing music the battle music uh there's more than one battle theme or more than two battle themes in this game and it really 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 works yeah, there's maybe, what, 10? Like, l- different enemies, depending on how you encounter them, have different battle themes. And this is an interesting little thing, too. Like, if you encounter a mole, but a bear comes to join the fight, you get the mole's music. If you encounter a bear and a mole comes to join the fight, you get the bear's music. So that's kind of cute. Um, and, yeah, like, the, I think they, they really were trying to make it so that if you're in a dungeon, if you've got, like, three different enemy types... Each different enemy type is going to have a different song. Even if you've heard it before, um, you're still getting different songs depending on the encounter. So it keeps that, like, variation high. And if all three are on the screen at the same time, uh, the game will lag like a motherfucker. Yeah, this game has some slowdown. <laughs> this game has so much slowdown. It's kind of like I I think like I mean it's it's really not a big deal. I don't care at all, but it's just like funny at times. I remember um I think in the like this is wait, yeah, this counts in vanity. Lag counts in vanity. Um it's like let's see, I believe it was the blue blue church of sorts. You go in there and there's like fucking 300 of them in there and it, and you're I think most of them are like one sprite or something the ones that you can't move around because otherwise the game would not be able to move at all but it's it gets a little chuggy in there yeah you gotta go through the maze of cultists and there's so many and the game just completely slows down yeah from some experimentation as a kid most of those enemies are actually uh, part of the background they're not sprites uh, not the enemies, the the characters sitting on there. So they're like animated uh, non-sprites, if that makes any sense. But it still is, you've still got about 
10 sprites at least on the screen and that's like from uh you know i think you actually have more sprites because of the size of them but whatever it doesn't matter um so yeah it slows down quite a bit there and, and a lot of a lot of spots it's interesting it's metatextual it's about how uh, if you get yourself in a cult kits then uh, it's going to slow down your progress in life. And so you see, if you meet a cultist, hit them with a bat or a psychic attack. It's true. If you meet a cultist, smack them upside the head. Maybe you'll, well, if you meet somebody recruiting for a cult, smack them upside the head. <laughs> if, uh, I'll see, um... <laughs> Does this game do much Mode 7 stuff besides uh, the the backgrounds to fights, or is that even Mode 7 at all? I feel like some of it is. I don't know how the backgrounds work. I couldn't tell you. Jacarina! <laughs> Usually if there's a weird visual effect, it's like either the... FX chip that was for Polygon stuff for Star Fox in that one racing game, or it's Mode Seven and like mm, that's mm, that's the main things. I think that the psychedelic battle backgrounds are uh, using Mode Seven, and I remember hearing somewhere that uh, Etoy's team for Earthbound did actually hire a guy whose whole job was to come up with those. Like they just got this video artist who just messed around and uh, came up with all the different. Um, really like impressive battle uh, backgrounds. He did a good job. Hell yeah! Like those battle backgrounds are amazing. Like they're so good. They're basically like a demo scene, demo scene like videos. Yeah, they are. Uh, I was sorry. I was gonna say that like one of those uh, once when I was fighting a Starman uh, actually caused me some very brief motion sickness. I was like, because I was just like reading the stuff in the the dialogue box for the fight, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa what's happening?" Because <laughs> I just like my brain was receiving too much information, which is weird because like the rest of it functions just fine for me which i think is actually pretty impressive given how psychedelic and crazy it can get to looking and i think correct me if i'm wrong but there are certain battles so most of the battles you you have black on the top and the bottom where your menus are uh yeah i'm looking at one now i think there are certain battles where those those trippy backgrounds take up the whole screen i think boss battles do that but i'm not 100 percent on that i could be wrong um I'm curious about that now, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think they fill up the whole screen on some of them. Like, I think that okay, I know the final fight they do. Uh, I think that they might with the mole fights where there's five of them and they all think they're the third strongest, which is a hilarious gag. Oh, hey, there's a screenshot. Yeah, that's not even the uh, the five moles. That's a that's a different one. That that's one of the bosses. That's the mighty mole, isn't it? The mole, yeah, the mole. sure is. Yeah, I think that all the bosses do that. I'm looking up screenshots now. It looks like like all the bosses have full screen uh, backgrounds. Why do yeah, the bosses okay. live inside of Tempest? Because Tempest because is the it's most red. Yes. Yeah, that's why. 
actually looks a little bit more like Super Hexagon to me, but I get where you're coming from. <laughs> so yeah, it looks like a thing that didn't come out yet. You, yeah, you amateur. Exactly. God damn it. <laughs> Pay attention. Um, yeah. So all the bosses it appears have full screen battle backgrounds, which is a subtle, nice little change. So um, let's. Oh my god, I want to talk about Moonside. It's this. Like, you go to a city, you encounter the Mani Mani statue or something, and you go to, like, an alternate dimension version of the city, and it's this, like, instead of having, like, you know, a building with a texture, it's just outlined in neon, and it's gorgeous. Like, pinks and greens and blues and purples. I mean, it's fucking fantastic looking. Um, and it's so shocking. This game has these occasional shocks. Like, when they drop you into Moonside, or where they drop you into Saturn Valley is very shocking. Like, it comes out of nowhere. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Um, I love it. Saturn Valley actually is foreshadowed a little bit. It is, uh, with, yeah. You can meet one yeah. Mr. Saturn inside of a house, but you never get to see them. But yeah, Moonside is visually my favorite part of the game, just because it looks so completely different from anything you'd find in any other Super Nintendo game, pretty much. Is it Moonside or Magicant that in the Japanese version, Ness is walking around naked? That's Magicant. Okay, yeah, because in Magicant in the American version, he's in his pajamas. That makes sense. Japan went there. They got the they little little thingy. Don't give out. a heck about you and your Western society. Sometimes kids are just naked, you know. So I was never, ever naked in my life. Well, you were also never a kid, so you got me there. I'm gonna go have therapy about it. <laughs> Please stop posting pictures of nakedness in the chat. I thought. This was your therapy. Every two weeks. Super Nintendo Exploration Therapists. Um, Moonside's enemies are really fun, too. Uh, you fight abstract art, and it's just a painting. And you fight uh, Dali's clock, which is the uh, melting clock from Salvador Dali paintings. Like, you gotta love that you're just fighting, like, <laughs> modern art. Is Moonside, like, it's the first time that the game really goes off the deep end and gets really like tonally hostile for a little while it's super super awesome yeah i yeah, I, th I think that's true there's a few moments earlier in the game that kind of hint at it like with the uh, mani mani statue and things like that but yeah moonside is where it just goes off the rails as a kid, I definitely didn't get there. I was too terrified at just regular old damn townsfolk that would say things I wasn't supposed to take literally. <laughs> the scariest thing the scariest thing in Moonside is um hold on, I have a screenshot from back when I replayed the whole So you go into the Moonside version of the museum in Foreside and uh it's there's just like it's on fire and there's like oh, a I know neon this one. dinosaur skeleton and you talk to a guy and the guy says do you know whose bones are on display here the answer is your bones ah whoa my fuck. bones 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 bone 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 that's the that's the full thing but i do love the the answer is your bones thing because it's just so subtly menacing. And then it devolves into weird nonsense. Nub. The answer is your nub. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know whose nub is on display here? 
Nub side. Welcome to Nub side, where Nub is Nub and Nub is Nub. All right. Um. <laughs> shit. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. This game is like the the sprites on the overworld are really charming. The monsters are really charming. The backgrounds are trippy, and the uh, end boss is absolutely terrifying, both musically, aesthetically, and mechanically. Uh, everything is just like really scary. <laughs> like the entire final chapter of the game is like pretty terrifying. Yeah. I never uh, played Ultima 4 with its uh, peace thing, but I uh, that is the thing that I always wonder about when I think about what other stuff from around this era was doing this sort of um, violence can't solve the ultimate problem. Oh, well, Ultima 4 went a lot further than... Uh... Earthbound did, but also is very, very uh, basic by today's standards. It's worth playing through, I guess. You think Richard Gary had ever played Earthbound? No, because uh, he knew that he would feel professional jealousy and be unable to do anything useful ever again. What, you don't think the perspective in this game is better than the perspective in uh, Ultima 7? So, you mean the literal perspective or the philosophical perspective? Uh, the perspective is exactly the same between the two games. They're both isometric, kind of. Isometric, but wrong. So uh, one thing I, I I kind of want to bring up, which is maybe just me, but um, in when you get to Foresight, so you, you've been to three towns by the time you get to Foresight, as the name would imply. When you get to Foresight, you have these really tall buildings everywhere, and the streets are all diagonal, like a lot of downtowns are. Like uh, downtown Seattle has got, instead of the streets running north, uh, north, south, or east, west, they run northeast, southwest kind of thing. Uh, Foresight does that, which I thought was, it, it actually intimidated me. Like it, it made me feel like this place was big and scary. Um, and I feel like that's a really subtle way of communicating that you're not in a small town anymore, you know? Um, just a weird little thing. Yeah, Foresight is the only part of the game that changes the perspective in that way. Like everything else is like has the same kind of like what do they what do, what do they call the way that they what do they call the like isometric projection in this game? Pretty all right, I think is what it's technically called. <laughs> no, there's a certain there's a name for it. It's a certain kind of style. Pretty all right. <laughs> yeah, we nobody knows. Um, mer- <laughs> oh, oblique mercator. mercator projection. No, oblique projection. Mercator projection. Thank Fish you, Islands. Mercator projection. <laughs> Rutabaga. Someone laugh at my joke. Barracuda. I, I like Damn your it. joke. Nargacuga. No, ah, I like your you, joke. Clint. <laughs> mercator projection. Ha ha. Fuck. Okay. Um, we're we're losing the plot here. What else do we want? I mean, I could talk for hours about vanity. I don't even know. We could talk about this for four hours, but I don't have four hours. Um, <laughs> what else do we have about vanity? Big notes. Big notes here. Uh, Look at all those part of the smiley faces. The best part of the game is when you ride Tessie. Slam most- the microphone through my desk. In most RPGs, <laughs> the writing is just for garnish, but here they are a profound ingredient. 
It's true. And writing Tessie is... All of my notes are from uh, Shigesato Utoi talking about bell peppers. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Tessie ride is wonderful. It's very slow. It's got this silly kind of, or not silly music. It's sort of got this growing music. But Tessie is basically the Loch Ness Monster, but with a stupid grin on its face. And it's just wonderful. It takes like a full minute of you can't do anything. I love, like, I actually extremely love the music in that I'm not actually making, I'm not actually doing a bit. Uh, I love the the slow dreamy buildup of that music, the the very wistfulness of it and the absolute lack of animation as you float on Tessie over the only animation actually being in the ripples of water under you. It, uh, but like, but as much as I say, like, ah, there's no animation here. Like it's not really necessary because it's just an extremely simple action of swimming from one place to another. But just that little, that little voyage, is such a pleasing little bit that I like. I prefer it to the boat ride that you take over to uh, over to Scaraba, where uh, where you get attacked by the Kraken on the way. I think that the music for Tessie is better, even though you know they're both still good segments. This game doesn't really have bad segments. There are a few great moments in the game, the Tessie one included, where uh, it kind of takes control away from you and you just like drift and zone out to this beautiful sight and sound. Um, Tessie is one, the bit where you have the tea in Saturn Valley and you just relax and the game just starts talking to you personally as the player. Um, I love that stuff in this game. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. This game's wonderful. <laughs> I find a lot of the faces in your hometown with their great big grins kind of unnerving. Are they a prefigurement in all the comfort of the unnerving things to come? Probably not. <laughs> they were just dealing with simple faces because it was their initial aesthetic. But still, this has been my book report on big smiley faces. <laughs> yeah, the, the, some of the sprites are silly. There is a Mr. T sprite that you see multiple times on the, the overworld, as well as somebody who looks vaguely like Stevie Wonder, which is interesting. <laughs> really strange. Um, but yeah. I do think that while I love most of the sprite work, uh, there is occasionally when I'll look at someone's, like one of the kids' sprites, and I'll be like, why is your neck that small or something? Like I looked at Pooh's earlier and I'm like, you look like you have five o'clock shadow and you have, your head is a balloon. What I feel like this maybe could have been handled better, but, but other times like it looks fine. It looks great. It looks iconic or something. So it's, it's, it's tricky. Mother three sprite art is uh, absolutely perfect and without flaw though. Yeah. Mother 3 sprite art is, is amazing, but I'm not going to talk about Mother 3. Oh my god, look at that big purple lizard. I'm posting images of, of Undertale mixed with Earthbound at this point. I've completely lost my mind. Um, are we good moving on to our next... Cursed podcast. Yeah. We love Undertale, but this that's a cursed concept. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good concept. Undertale is amazing. That's not a good concept. <laughs> um, so, are we good moving on to our next topic? I know there's more that we could talk about, but I want to talk about mystery. We should definitely move on to the next topic. Yeah, let's move on. All right. Uh, so, our next topic is mystery. 
Uh, this game's very mysterious. A lot of stuff that doesn't do anything. A lot of items, as mentioned, that don't do anything. Uh, that kind of stuff happens a lot. Uh, the entire plot of the game is slightly mysterious. Uh, that's it's it's good. So, what do we have for mystery? Please, somebody explain to me what was my cat trying to hide from me? The truth. Well, I know that. This game does have way more dogs than cats in it. I mean, Earthbound is a dog lover kind of game, so maybe that's why. No. Are there any cats in it? There's like yeah. one in Polestar there's Preschool. A, that looks one weird as hell. There's one in Polestar and there's one in Toto right beside Summers. And like, oh, okay. that's it. But I named my dog U-God, which is such a huge burn on both U-God and that dog. She should have been placated. Well, I named the dog Bachelor, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I have a mystery. Um, so the main thing I did to prep for this episode, since I played the game a ton of times, mainly I just went through the post game, which I uh, hadn't really delved all the way into before. Um, basically, when you beat this game, you... Uh, you have this lovely bit that did not need to be there, but got a lot of effort put into it where, um, you know, you beat the final boss, all your friends go home and you get the end of their story. And then you, the main character, are just on your own and you can go anywhere in the entire game and you can talk to anyone and there are no more enemies around. And ev almost everyone, like an amazing number of characters have new dialogue when you talk to them everywhere throughout the world of the game. Um, so that's great. One thing that I found very mysterious was I went and visited Happy Happy Village, the uh, cult where everyone worships the color blue. And uh, a lot of them are like, oh, you know, we're no longer part of this cult. Thank you for freeing us, all that. But like half of the characters say thanks ahead of time. Like they all just say thanks ahead of time. What Does anyone fuck? have any idea what that's about? That's mysterious indeed and kind of disconcerting it's like you could just be like no 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 after the fact post ad hoc it's or i mean that's not a proper use of that but like no like it's done it's over with thank me now that's so, so well, weird maybe, is that you think that's supposed to be maybe more well i mean it's certainly not but what if it were more um of that foreshadowing that post credits scene where they're like okay uh there's gonna be an earthbound 2 and ness is gonna be there and he's gonna save the day and he's gonna fight pokey yeah maybe i mean the other thing i thought was like a lot of those characters are the same characters that uh when you first encounter them are all just saying the same thing about the, the cult they're in they're all like blue 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 right but when you talk to them after the cult they're all saying the same thing but it's something that's weird in a different way so maybe they're like starting a new cult that's about time instead of about blue but that's a bit of a stretch uh which characters did you say said thanks ahead of time again i think i missed that bit um i they were just random npcs inside happy happy village uh, okay hmm yeah i don't know then so like in, in the end of the game don't you go to the future to fight how do you say that by the way gigas 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 uh, I believe originally in Japan, name, I think in Japan his name is Gigu, like Gig, but the, we couldn't call him Gig here because it's kind of weird and hard to say. So we just said Gigas. So the big G. Um, 
<laughs> the big you, don't you go to the future to fight the fight the end boss? Is that correct, or is it just like space? You go to the past. Oh, the you past. Go to the past. So you that, go to before. You go to. I think it's implied that you go to before he is uh, fully formed, and so he is actually like an embryo. And like, there's that whole thing about the oh, we've got the like it's actually in the shape of an embryo. Wasn't that like a whole thing back in the day? Oh yeah. my god! When 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 did Chrono Trigger get released? Squaresoft, <laughs> they stole it. Same year. <laughs> uh, that's so interesting, though. Thanks ahead of time. I love that. Um... <laughs> you aboard Gigas. That was the thing back in the day. Everyone yep. wanted to say. Um, another thing post that, a picture about it. Another thing that comes up a lot. Well, the other thing didn't come up a lot, but this is a thing that does come up a lot in Mysteries from Earthbound is uh, the Apple of Enlightenment. There's like a few, one or two lines in the game where characters refer to something called the Apple of Enlightenment as this huge deal that seems like it's foreshadowing for something that's going to be a big part of the plot. And then it just never happens. Oh, yeah. They keep bringing that up and it never ends up being a thing. But it, uh, I think that they wanted that to be in a Mother 3. I think that that would have been the idea or, but also it uh, without it getting fully introduced and it just being something that the villains referred to as being a part of their own experience in their own world. It kind of has a very mysterious and interesting aspect in its own sense. I think because it feels like a, a story not told and that is in its own way, kind of uh, compelling. Well, you meet someone who is carrying the apple, but then you beat them to a pulp with a baseball bat, and the apple itself gets pulped in their pocket. So you don't, when you search their body afterwards, you just find applesauce. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like anything worth looting. Cannon! <laughs> I, I'm looking up the script to Earthbound and just picking up random things. And yeah, thanks ahead of time. But the weirdest thing is, is thanks, comma, ahead of time. That's a really awkward phrasing as well. I don't know. I don't know. I just want to know if eating garlic would actually make my body stronger. Is this good advice? You should That's always take the advice of random NPCs in video games. Do I have to work out and eat garlic to make my body stronger, or can I just do one of the two? Stay and tuned so, for our one? Wario Woods podcast to find out. So, was actually, was the Manny Manny statue just an extended red herring the entire time? Uh, I think it was a tool of Gigas used to control people. So like I, like, ah, <laughs> yeah. The Mani Mani statue seems like it's being pushed as maybe the overlord, the controller of everything. But then it sort of just disappears. It's weird. No, you break it. Well, yeah, you break you, it. Like, but like, it's it's. I feel like it was being foreshadowed as like the end boss almost, and then it ends up just being another yeah, tool, which is interesting because like. Liar Exaggerate finds it, and then it ends up trading hands, and it ends up controlling Carpenter. You break it. Uh, you. Uh, it ends up. Let's see. It ends up trying to control Ness later in Foreside. I think it controls Monotoly. I'm not sure. And then, like later, it shows up in Ness's nightmare, or as Ness's nightmare. So I think it's like 
Gigas is weaponizing metaphors out here. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Many, many statue is a metaphor for trauma. Oh my god. I thought it was just a metaphor for greed because it was, it looks like the golden calf or something. Okay, she did. Yes. My cat not want me to find out about eating garlic to gain more power so that I would remain weak and she could easily control me? I think the cat was looking to protect you because garlic is toxic to cats and dogs. And so your cat was, was saying, don't eat the garlic, it will kill you. Severa, I am not a cat. <laughs> she doesn't know I'm not a cat. All cats just view humans as particularly large, particularly stupid cats. This is true. My cat thinks I'm stupid. How, mystery, how many fart jokes are in the game? I got to two and I only got about halfway through. I counted about two, so I assume it just sticks to two for the entire duration. That's good. In the original Japanese, prey was actually fart. <laughs> so you killed the boss by farting on them. Farting with the power of the earth. Another farting nine exclusive. times in a row. Curry farted with all their heart. <laughs> <laughs> The everyone began to cry. <laughs> oh. Uh okay. So I don't know. The game's very mysterious. It's very nice. I think that's part of the um, charm. I think I have some legit textual criticism that I will sneak into the mystery section. Let's well, go to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks and for this... joining us for the Super Nintendo exploration. <laughs> so, uh, the game opens up with uh, you going and finding the meteor, and then uh, uh, you have to go back home, and then you find out that Picky is missing, and Porky uh, drags you out again. And then they go back to their house and are beaten by their father, and why does this game treat child abuse so lightly? Like, it doesn't take it seriously, and it also seems to imply that uh, uh, if you're beaten as a child, you uh, become evil. I mean, abuse is cyclical, but that is not what they're going for. It's true. Yeah, there's certainly like a... Uh... Like, that's the most off note in the entire game for me. It just feels completely wrong. It, it, it's comparable to like the the hot spring scene in my and just being off putting with no real benefit to the narrative. Yeah, yeah, I I mean different cultures, different senses of humor and whether or not it's right, I dis I don't like either of those moments either. Um the for what it is worth, uh I know that the sound effect used for uh Aloysius hitting Pokey it, and Picky off it, off camera is uh different in Japan. They I had heard it once described as more violent sounding, and so they uh tried to make it sound less make it sound more tame to try and skirt past it in the American version. And I think that shows that Nintendo was not sure how to, or maybe at least Nintendo of America wasn't sure how to feel about that moment. And 
I can't remember what the like I know the sound in the American version easy. I've heard it so many times because I've done the beginning so many times, but I don't remember at all the Japanese version. And it makes me wonder if for some people maybe the Japanese version had enough of a an like harsh sound to it that they would have had a more negative reaction to it because you're certainly not supposed to think well of any member of Pokey's family, except for picky. Like they're all really detestable people. I think, um, there is a difference between, uh, treating that kind of like family dynamic casually and like framing it as if this is a casual part of this family's like life. And I think, like, for me, um, this moment falls towards the latter, although I could really easily see how, like, it could have been mistranslated or how it could just be taken taken the other way. I, it's more complex than it seems. I don't think that they're treating child abuse lightly. I kind of, I trust this game's heart too much to think that it does that. I think this game is a little harsh with the constant fat jokes, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I actually wrote that down. Um, I I thought it might have been justified because you do eat so much food in this game. But most of the fat jokes are aimed at Pokey. That yeah. sucks. Some of them are aimed at Ness too. They are. They are. Like you get called Chubs a lot and stuff. And so in in my head, I can't help but think that Ness is canonically a bit chubby, which is cool. I'm okay with that. But it's a, it's it is a bit dated. It's something that's kind of aged a little poorly. There's there's um there's a little bit of darkness in a bunch of adults uh like making fun of a child's weight. Yeah, I think that's perhaps the most interesting thing to take away from that because it is a there is a lot of adults taking pot shots at ki- at kids in this and it just being like, well, that's really weird. Yeah, I mean, you've got all kinds of situations like that in this game, like the police chief, like, and the police attacking Ness, and he has to beat them all up. Like, there's a lot of st- a lot of jokes about um, adults just like being corrupt and treating kids terribly, and uh, there's jokes about all kinds of dark stuff in this game. I mean, there's a lot of humor about alcoholism as well. Um, the U.S. version, uh, of course, they uh, censored it to make it all about cappuccinos and stuff, but I believe in the original version. People were just drunk. I mean, there were people just talking about drinking. There's a lot of, I think, uh, I think there was a thread for, I think it's the talk about mother thread or the stop talking about mother thread on the select button.net forums. Uh, and I think it was someone who said in there that due to uh, Itoi's generally rather nuanced take on pretty much everything, it is hard to take a super strong stance on anything that shows up in these things because there's usually another element of something else with it with regards to the like fat jokes also being uh, accompanied with it coming from adults having weird comments about kids bodies etc etc that kind of stuff like that um and that's not me trying to defend anything that i'm uncomfortable with in the game of the few things that i'm uncomfortable with but i i I think it's something worth keeping in mind because it is a game that has in its writing more nuance than 
pretty much every other, uh, pretty much any other Super Nintendo game. Yeah, I, it is a very nuanced game, and so when it does kind of fall flat, like it's easy to. Um, I, it, on the one hand, it's easy to gloss that over because there's so much other good stuff going on, and on the other hand, I do think that there's value in trying to see it as the whole like trying to see where it's coming from like this game kind of points a lot towards adults just sucking like (laughs) adults are are not they're very complicated they're they're occasionally mean they're cowardly um a lot of the adults express very fearful things um there's one character in particular who's like who's very blunt about it like i don't care what happens as long as i'm safe in three with the zombies stuff like that um yeah, yeah. that guy is hilarious but he is also absolutely an example of here's terrible people that we can view in a comical way without uh writing off how terrible they are because it's during Threek or Threed where he's in the zombie tent and he's saying, uh, I abandoned my wife and child and I just want to be safe. And like the, the humor comes from the fact that he keeps on saying out loud, I just want to make sure I'm safe. I don't care about anyone else. And it's like, OK, you don't have to keep saying this. We, you're, you're just kind of incriminating yourself here. Yeah, exactly. More- more or less 100% of the adults in this game are written in a way like they act childishly about adult things. It's That's a good way to put it. Uh, I have, I have, um, sort of a half-formed, mysterious thought that kind of came to me while I was running the game yesterday. Um, Before that, I want to mention, um, why is everybody so casual about media rights? Uh, Everyone in the beginning of the game acts as if this has happened before, like a lot, and I find that funny. Well, they do have hippies. I mean, didn't it happen back in 1980s? And there's yeah, a sure. long and storied history of Meteore. I got <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, so there. Th- this game thematically is um, centered around, like, you know, coming of age and coming from, like, childhood into adulthood. And it frames um that journey a lot in like a child's play rituals and like just kind of iterating and complicating those rituals and it it occurred to me that like a lot of the adventure in this game is like it happens in the four kids like private lives or in the lives of other young people like everything that happens in the game is real and there are adults that do refer to it as being like concrete but like you're alone in all the dungeons and all the psychic like all the psychic talk between uh, Paula and any other character is like it's only between the four kids and all of your chats with the animals are all private and like I wonder what about this game's relationship to like childhood imagination and those kind of like you know make-believe adventures that children go on when they're when when they're children and how much of this game like is in Ness and the other's head i'm not saying that it is one way or the other but it makes me think 
Well, and I think that if, if we're, we're going there, I think that a lot of what this game is getting at is that children lead full and interesting lives. And uh, if anything, adults are the ones that are flat and um, don't have anything interesting going on. And so it, it has a deep respect for a child's, not only just their life, but also their privacy, their internal thoughts, their friends, their ability to uh, find joy and meaning in life uh, on their own terms versus many of the adults have. Maybe they've gone through this, maybe they haven't, but they tend to be stuck in their little ruts, uh, their, their little tiny worlds where, where they don't experiencing anything new, don't experiencing anything new. That's good phrasing. <laughs> They're That's stuck really- in their little ruts where they repeat the same line over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a consequence of this being a an RPG where, you know, it's not like everybody gets a full uh, and deep backstory, you know, there. Oh, no, this is this. I'm I'm treating a uh, convention of it being a JRPG as part of the world building of the Earthbound setting of Eagle Land. Yeah, and I, I think that it's. It's a really interesting... Okay, well, that's good. I, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like, it, it has a deep respect for children, um, which is is not honestly common in people, and it's not common in games, and it's not common in literature. So it's it's cool. And it, it, it makes sense that it would resonate with children. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> but I, I want to move on. Okay, so we, we, we've been talking for a while. I, I want to take a little break from Earthbound. I would like to talk about our Salaryman game, and it's going to be a, a, a huge break. No, actually, it's another game by <laughs> Shigesato Itoi. Um, it's, so I, I didn't do my break, so let me play some music now. Great. Okay, so the Salaryman Corner game this week, at the request of one second before, we actually picked it this time, is Itoi Shigesato no Bass, I almost said bass. No, bass tsuri no, number one. It's a bass fishing game. And you did it, pronounce Itoi as Ito, though. Itoi, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw you out there. <laughs> God damn it. I was get, I stopped questioning myself so much. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so it's his only non-mother game. And uh, yeah, we played it. Well, I say we played it. Bachelor played it, and I watched the stream, and so did a couple other people. It's fucking... God, it's such a fishing game, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's super moody, though. I really like it. it or I want to like it. Someone please do a fan translation of this, just because... It, how hard could it be? How hard yeah. could it be? I mean, it'll okay. just require translating all the tutorials, which even shitty Google Translate was able to do pretty well. I say how hard could it be, but also uh, the Mother series is famously sloppily coded, and therefore really hard to hack so i don't know maybe that would get in the way i don't know if it's quite the like is it how did how do this yeah how did this um right yeah yeah okay um i i i uh i will admit that i forgot to play this this time because i was too busy uh playing through earthbound again for 30 straight hours in the span of a week god i'm exhausted but uh, I, I did watch Bachelor play this, and I am grateful for his stream because I got to see some cool stuff, and I got to listen to him sing along to the radio music that you listen to in it about kissing fish and taking it home to your mom and pop. <laughs> yep, that was it. It's a good game. 
I, I, I for like four hours last night. I didn't catch a goddamn fish. I did got you even hook a fish? I don't think I did. Now looking at the videos, I got very excited at a few points. I thought, oh man, I got a nibble. I got I'm not like my heart was racing and I'm pulling it in and then I got nothing. But then I looked at a YouTube video and like it shows what's on the end of your hook, which I think yeah. might be a problem. I, you wouldn't know if you're no, fishing. I mean, that's yeah. a thing that shows up in a lot of fishing games. I don't show you fish. I, it should be a mystery. <laughs> well, um, but in this game, feel, I think you are only fishing for bass. You feel the tug on your hook. You feel that fish jerking. You feel the fish jerking. You get a look in your eye. And you know, you know there's a fish, or it's like you just snagged something under the water and you like reel up a fucking stick and the next thing you know your dad is like you fucked up again son time to throw that line back out and then you fuck up your cast and you catch the hook in your fucking hair and there's a worm on the hook and it's wriggling in your hair and the worm guts are getting in your scalp the hole in your scalp that you've made with your hook and this is this. actually very similar to um, my own fishing experiences. Yeah, this is this is my childhood. Were you there, Father? We were all there, except me. I've never fished. We were all there in the orphanage, and we forgot. <laughs> anyway, just like Earthbound, you can ride a bicycle and you have a red baseball cap and uh, uh, Shigesato Itoi uh, no Fast Thirty Number One. This game has a very simulation-minded uh, kind of um, style. Uh, I think that when you first start it up, one of the first things that a character tells you is like, this isn't just any old fishing game. You got to know what you're doing or you're not going to even see a fish, which you know we saw happen last night with Bachelor Stream. But none of us knew what to do because... Of course, it's all in Japanese, and you really need to talk to the characters in the game, and you also need to refer to the manual uh, to find out where you need to get a fish. Or the in-game tutorial menu, uh, which is what I did when I played through it after watching Bachelor's stream. Uh, But it turns out the game is heavily glitched. Whatever Nintendo emulator I was using, that made it impossible to actually pull up a fish. I do just want to say real quick that uh, having a fishing game, uh, giving it an anti-piracy measure where you can never properly hook a fish sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, Fishing game devs, hit me up. But a fishing game where you can hook a fish and never actually pull it out of the water is what I think was actually happening here. Oh, wait a second. It might actually have been an anti-piracy measure. It might have been because Earthbound had an anti-piracy measure like that. Like, didn't it uh, make all the enemies extra difficult or something? Earthbound had several different anti-piracy measures, most of them that were actually just uh, blue screens of sorts um, that were saying, don't do this. Then there were others that... uh, would make it so the game would flood with enemies so that it was nearly unplayable because it would crawl to like it would slow to a crawl and it would also like you'd be co- f- constantly fighting enemies so it would be no fun and then finally the last measure it had is that if you were somehow 
still playing it and you got all the way to the end, you got all the way to the very last dungeon before the final boss, the game would crash and then delete your save. Yeah. So cool. And and that's a lesser game called Earthbound, whereas in this uh, fishing game, you just suffer from never knowing whether or not you can actually catch a fish. <laughs> just like real life. Actually, I have a better idea. Let's have a fishing game where the anti-piracy measure is while you're trying to fish, there's a giant pink scorpion chasing you around. Yeah, with many guns. Pink scorpion guns. fishing. This game looks gorgeous, we should say. I mean, the there are different backgrounds depending on where you set down your line, and all the backgrounds look amazing. They all actually look pretty different, too. And the music is really good. I was wondering if... Uh, you know, Hip Tanaka was involved in the soundtrack to this. And I also would love to find the soundtrack to this. Oh, but, uh, uh, one, yeah. one note about the music is uh, we didn't see it in Bachelor's stream, I don't think, because Bachelor didn't hook any fish, unfortunately. Wow. But when you do, yeah, when you do hook a fish, <laughs> uh, you get a new song, oh, uh, cool. a new song on the soundtrack that plays uh, at that moment. To simulate the excitement of having finally done something. Got fishing games are such an uncovered niche of possible brilliance. One day we'll all look back and realize that that was where video games were really happening. I wonder if there are actual fisher persons who have like... They set up playlists on their mobile devices and they have mellow music... To listen to while they're waiting for the fish and when they get the fish on the line they just real quick before they actually start going through the mechanics of get reeling the fish and they like jerk it to set, set the hook and then they hand just fly to their phone or their ipod or whatever and they're switching to the exciting reeling in the fish music yeah they switch like, to their uh, battle theme let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> in my opinion, you put on you put on the uh, the new 2016 Doom soundtrack, and you pull out the super shotgun and go fishing that way. Hell yeah! Shotgun fishing. Fuck. That, that seems too violent. Oh, it sounds fun though. It sounds fishing a lot isn't fun. about violence. It's Look, about I play a lot of video games. I've been completely desensitized to all human emotion. <laughs> It's about catching a fish and then letting it go, and then just sitting on the water peacefully. Earthbound simulated me into a murderer, and then you, and then dying because you forgot to bring your lunch. All right, but, yes, and you just die out there by the pond. Regarding this fishing game, it is a very deep simulation of fishing, which I think was novel at the time, in that it simulates. Uh, the effect of wind and sunlight and weather on uh, when and where fish show up, and also various features uh, in the lake can uh, snag your line. Like if you uh, pull your line through a bunch of weeds, it will slow down and tension will increase. So it's actually quite complicated. Kiss a fish, would you bring it home to your mom and your dad? Uh, 
And on that note, <laughs> we're two and a half hours. One second before it has God damn it, Trump. The- but first of all, log on to twitch.tv slash Batchersoft every night for the rest of this month to see more of this game. I'm going to play until I beat it. Thank you. So did a toy just really, is he like really into fishing or what's the deal? Does anybody know? I'm really curious. I, I generally think he is actually uh, into fishing. Yeah. He just uh, loves fishing. He is seems like a game that would be made like a... Let the bodies hit the floor. I am calling this (laughs) (laughs) salary man segment done. We're done. We're done. We're moving on. He is a professional boring man. Of course he loves fishing. Our next topic is poetry. And I think this is a great time to read off our favorite lines from Earthbound and not talk about the writing in any other way. So, what are your favorite lines from Earthbound? You mean you can't envision the final collapse of capitalism? (laughs) That's a good one. In Mr. Saturn's voice. I've got fleas sucking me dry, so I'm just going to lie still for now. You asshole, I was in the middle of something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Zombie Paper is a stupid product name. I really like that one. I would tell you about the creature from the vegetable soup, but I don't want to tell you anything that's not relevant to your journey. <laughs> if you're trying to sell us the newspaper, go away. We don't read the paper. Prophetic. <laughs> they also mentioned milk as well, which is good. They don't want any milk. Like my previous one, all of my favorite quotes come from the Stoic Club. So here's another one. Didactically speaking, seminal evidence seems to explicate the fact that your repudiation of entropy supports my theory of space-time synthesis. I like that it almost sounded like you said seven malevolence. Of this, I am irrefutably confident. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. I interrupted. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, the line that I read uh, not doing Mr. Saturn's voice is just where he says, I... Think new things, more difficult things from now on. Best line in the game is, yeah, sure, you're cool, whatever. We decided that most of the the lines in this game were delivered by Bachelor. Like, I can't hear it in anything but your voice now. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I have that written down. (laughs) Actually, I think, honestly, my favorite line in this game is... Uh, what happens when you use the picture postcards that you can buy in the Happy Happy Village. When you use it, you just get a message saying you felt sad and empty. Uh, That's pretty good. Um, I have another one that I like. Uh, When you go to a department store and you go to the guy who sells you bats and stuff, he goes, Hey dudes, it's summer. It's the manly time of year. Time for sports, guys. (laughs) weird what was that other what was that other billboard the one that says like if you play sports if you play some sports sometimes we're okay with that we're fine yeah with that. yeah the billboard in uh in three or tucson maybe is that's it. like if you are a sports enthusiast that's fine with us and then it's like the tucson sports club yeah uh clint just posted it. it says there do you play some sports if you do that's fine by us which i find to be, sound like it's straight out of a hugh and laurie bit it's very british sounding if you do that's fine by us
at one point in order to advance in the game you have to like do this huge payoff to a, a manager of a band i think i think that's what this is from i have this old screenshot but the person that you pay off says thump thump i made so much money i can hear my heartbeat <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the second woman that you pay off. Uh, I think you give her uh, a whole bunch of gold that was no no no. You find a diamond that was found in uh, the 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 desert. That's right. Yeah. One of my favorite lines in this game is when you talk to the dog in Tucson. Uh, the dog uh, finishes what they were saying with "Believe me, even though I'm just a dog." Woof. <laughs> it, one of the ones that confused me the most is very early in the game when you go to talk to your sister she says oh it's my line now oops and you're given the option of yes or no and no matter what you say I can't remember what she says next but it's very confusing and I don't know I still don't know what the fuck that's all about <laughs> I want to believe that's the intent my wife has run away for a second time I'm such a lucky man I am looking at the screenshot of this, what I believe is a gray-haired old woman saying, I have fake teeth, so I like soft foods. Feeling like I should be able to relate to this, but as a false-toothed individual, as a dentured American, I have to say that there is nothing more satisfying than having a properly fitted set of dentures and chewing on very hard foods with them. And, and just non-foods. knowing, just knowing that my plastic teeth are performing at their peak and are just grinding through those almonds or what have you, or those iron filings, you know. Whatever I please. Whatever so, shrug seeds. I'm not sure. Lindy Toei doesn't know the full denture experience. Yeah, I don't feel like this is really getting at the emotional truth of denture wearing, and Earthbound is deeply flawed per, and perhaps the worst game ever made. I'm yeah, that seems accurate. Far. Yeah. No, you seem, you seem spot on. That's the end of the podcast right there. But Topa does have a point. We should be sharing the names that we named everything in the beginning. And I want to go first because mine are boring as hell. Um, And I didn't take a screenshot of it, so I'm just going to have to tell you. So uh, I, when I was a kid, I picked from the default names and there's like five or six different default names for each of the characters you can pick from. Uh, Ness was of course Ness because I knew him from Smash Brothers. Uh, Holly or fucking Paula. I named Holly. Jeff. I named Sean because I knew a kid named Sean. I didn't like the name Pooh, so I picked Kato. The dog is Rex, which I think is the default name. I can't remember. And then for the favorite food, of course, I picked Cheesed, just cheese. And then coolest things, I picked games. And while I was on a stream, uh, while I was streaming, I was like, why is my, why is Ness's attack called games? And everybody in chat was losing their minds, like, cause that's the <laughs> fucking word you picked, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really great stream. I'd forgotten it, that. <laughs> it was it was such a disaster. It put uh Arinoshinya to shame. Yeah, that's I mean that's just me in a nutshell, just a disaster. So all right, what what did we name what what other names do we have? 
Uh, mine uh, was most relevant to the podcast. Uh, Ness was Curry after me. Uh, Paula was Cassie after Cassievania, who is not on the podcast this time, but is one of our regulars. Uh, Jeff was Clint, your very own host. Uh, let's see. Who was Tulpa? The dog was Bachelor. Our favorite food was mayo, of course. It made for some very interesting dialogue. And the you guys are posting so many screenshots in the Discord that I keep forgetting what I'm talking about. Um, my favorite thing was Chuck Rock. Of course, Chuck Rock. Because, nice. because nothing is Chuck Rock. Okay, well, my names, I named all of the characters in honor of my D&D Select Button Guide and Podcast. So Ness was BJ, uh, the uh, rude barbarian. Uh, Paula, was that her default name? Paula was yes. Ernie. Uh, Jeff was uh, Ven, the, the morose cleric. And Poole was Honeydew. And the dog was Bartholomew, named after the hog that... Uh, our characters have been adventuring with for a while now. The favorite food was regret, all lowercase, which just produces a lot of poetry in the game in general. And the coolest thing I can honestly say is Hayden. Hayden every day. Hayden it's worth mentioning night. that the name for Paula is also actually Bernie Sanders. Paula. Which is the name of our, uh, which is the name of Gary's uh, character. Bernice Sanders. Everyone's favorite socialist overlord. So when I named my characters when I was a kid, I named Ness my own name, and I named Paula my sister's name. I cannot remember what I named Jeff and Pooh. All the awkwardness. Yeah, that is a little weird, isn't it? Because <laughs> in the very end, they say, I don't know if y'all are going to get hitched later. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, well, I didn't know that was going to happen, but uh, I so also did you. You've oh, committed no. a crime, and you're going to video game jail, I named which is easy dog. to shoot your way out of. I named the dog after my own dog, Buster, and my favorite thing was gaming, because I was nine. My favorite food was steak, which is the default, but I didn't know that. I just liked steak a lot. Nice. <laughs> uh, I went through two rounds of names. Initially, I named Ness Packback. Uh, Paula was Warbow for her bows. Uh, Jeff was Point Dex for Point Dexter. And Pooh was STRBB for Strong Baby. <laughs> the dog was Dutch. Favorite food was Codpiece. And the coolest thing was Iron. Nice. Ness was Rizza. Paula was Raekwon. Jeff was Jizza. Who was ODB? The dog became you, God. Again, a sick uh, burn on both of them. Favorite food was Digi Snacks, and the coolest thing was a ruckus. Sigh. <laughs> I named my characters after the members of Throbbing Gressel, the seminal industrial band. That's Jen for Genesis Pjorge. Uh, Paula was Cosi for Cosi Fanny Tootie. Uh, Jeff was Chris Carter, 
who was Peter Sleazy Christofferson. The dog is named, I, I changed it from the screenshot. It's, it's TG for Throbbing Gristle because it's their pet project. Uh, hey, oh. Favorite food is favorite food is E. coli, which is pretty fun. And the coolest thing is... Uh, we like to have fun here. <laughs> uh, the coolest oh. thing is, is a series of notes. Oh, you should have put a TV for the coolest thing, so your attached should have been Psychic TV. Oh my god. Oh, shit. Ooh. Fuck you, Telva. That, that's a deep cut. <laughs> I don't get it, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm going to feel so lame for like the rest of the podcast. That's okay, because there's sorry. not very much podcast left. Well, next time you play Earthbound, which will happen, at least now you know, Psychic TV. I was trying so hard to be cool, and like, but I know I can't win. Uh, for, re- for context, Psychic TV is the name of the other band led by Genesis Peorage. I don't remember why I named my characters. I know I named... Uh... Polly or Paul or whatever her name is. I know I named her Ollie last time I played. Um, and I named the dog Spanky after my dog Spanky. Rest in peace, Spanky. And I said my favorite food was rice, which maybe I was really in a worse way than I thought if I picked that as my favorite food. I mean, it's a good food. Super healthy. Good oh, I don't you. know, baby. It would have been white rice. Not that brown rice shit. Like, who wants to eat brown rice? That's for sickies. I want some white I rice. I love brown rice. I want rice. sticky rice. I love oh, it. Oh, no fight way. Me. Fight me. Bring it on. Bring it on. I Come mean, on, look. I don't I mean, want to fight anybody. Shrug, you are ill. It's it's okay. You can be a sickie. <laughs> I'm so uh, sick. Anyway, uh, so that's poetry, right? Yeah, I think I'm happy with that. Um, I want to move on to our final topic, two hours and 40 minutes later, um, which is harmony. It's harmony. And uh, this is where we like to give our bottom line reviews of the game. I, I, I only wrote down bottom line reviews. I hardly wrote any other notes. So my, my bottom line review of Earthbound is Earthbound is waking up from a happy dream and feeling sad. In Earthbound, the bell peppers are feeling happy. I have two that are about the whole uh, trilogy of Mother Games, which I'm just going to steal shamelessly from a select button thread where I posted them a while ago, but they're too good not to. Um, Okay. Mother 1 is Wire Mother, Mother 2 is Felt Mother, and Mother 3 is No Mother at All. Oh, man. And then uh, Mother 3 is like watching a really good stage play. But Mother 2 is like spending a year in a foreign town. Mother 1 is like going through your elementary school scrapbook and getting confused over all of the half-memories it dredges up and the incomprehensible prose of your first-grade writing assignments. <laughs> I really like that. Mother is a traumatic event. Or Mother 2, you know. Mother has been working out and eating garlic to become strong? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Earthbound is smashing a cop's face with a bat. 
That's not true, but it, it does happen. <laughs> you do get to do that. Damn, that's a. Uh, that means that playing Earthbound is basically the same as actual uh, activist action. Earthbound <laughs> is political practice. Earthbound is bashing a bunch of forest creatures with a bat until they become tame. Though we should note that Earthbound does frequently have the refrain of uh, people telling Ness that he'd make a good cop. He can be the only good cop. The kind that smashes uh, unborn evil entities before they become evil. So, a cop that is pro-abortion. A cop with, you know, you know, uh, uh, Big Brother nonsense, 9-11 chemtrails, uh, Philip K. <laughs> Dick cop, a minority report cop, a future <laughs> crime prosecuting uh, future cop. Thank you. Just like... going back in time to abort Hitler. <laughs> Fuck. What? Literally. <laughs> That's really good. It is. It wow, really yeah. is. I barely even played the game. But you know what's up. You know what's up. Uh, the other one I had written down was Earthbound is a warm hug from your weirdest friend. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Earthbound is a vision of seeing your mother when she was young. Ooh, that's good too. Earthbound is a gift from your weird uncle that really likes bass fishing. I don't have any more. <laughs> Earthbound is a flavor that you want to linger in your mouth even longer as it just skates down your throat. <laughs> Earthbound stinks. <laughs> yep, there we go. Bottom line review, Earthbound stinks. <laughs> Earthbound, this is maybe too creative. <laughs> Earthbound is all the stories you wish you could tell your mother. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, I like that one a lot, actually. <laughs> Earthbound is getting homesick right in the middle of fighting an electric ghost, inconveniently. <laughs> Very literal, yes. <laughs> I know that feel. We all know that feel, I think. Earthbound is calling your dad for money. <laughs> Earthbound, wa Earthbound wants to buy that mushroom that's growing out of the top of your head for $50. Earthbound, <laughs> Earthbound is buying a house and finding out it has no back wall. Oh my god. Yep. Well, I mean, in essence, Earthbound is every weird childhood nightmare I had made too real. And so that's that's how I feel about it. Um, got any more? I do want to say Earthbound is probably the most harmonious game that I've ever played. Earthbound is a tab of acid on a Peanuts comic strip. <laughs> Earthbound is that one time video game devs did drugs and then thought of this crazy idea. Well, okay, it's not like that. I mean, you literally do psychedelics in Earthbound. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. I liked that, actually. I feel like this is peanuts on acid is a very good way of seeing it. <laughs> Earthbound uh, is nostalgia for a childhood you never had. Yeah, yeah you've nailed it. That's the one I... Yeah. Yep, okay. Earthbound is mushrooms on this. <laughs> All right, well, I think... I don't know. Yeah, that's good. I think we're good. Um... Curry. Hello there. This I is bet my dad would have given me money if I beat more people up with bats as a child. That, yeah. I think my dad, too, actually. <laughs> um, Curry, do we have a mystery topic, or do we just want to move on? 
Oh, I've got a mystery topic. Mystery topic. All right, we got 10 minutes. Now, Nut messaged me before and said that we should talk about Homestuck, and I was like, no. No. <laughs> that's another podcast entirely. <laughs> that's that's a whole other situation. Um, but... but but I respect the, the 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 effort in having an idea. My idea is everyone give me your best impression of what you think Mr. Saturn sounds like. Oh no. You gotta pull up a line from mm. that he said and you gotta recite it. I'm not doing that, I'm sorry. Oh you're doing it. I can't. Do it in Grinkle Stink's you're, voice. You're a, you're a dungeon master person. You have to. That you, all you Fine, do I'll do it in Grinkle Stink's voice. Someone give me a line. I'm trying to pull up lines. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Alright, I got one. I'll start. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Actually, I think that might have been how it was in my head as a kid. Okay, let me try the line. Mr. Saturn, smooth, smooth after bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. Exclusive. That sounds like canon to me. Hell yeah. Uh, what I'm trying to okay. What are more Mr. Saturn lines? I got one. Go. I'm happy. I'm in trouble. No, wait. I'm happy. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's Say good. no, and I hand you a raw egg. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was gonna. I, I regret now telling you to do it in uh, Grinkle Sink's voice because I was gonna do it in my old man voice, which is basically the same thing. I give you special thing. That's it. <laughs> Zoom. Zoom. Girl. Am girl. <laughs> What's it? okay, Curry? You said you have a voice in your head, and that you were gonna okay, do it on the yeah. podcast. You gotta do it. Okay. Okay. This is the Earth's belly button. Zoom! Oh, that's good. <laughs> so my my first instinct was just to do my mole from Redwall voice. Oh, do that one. <laughs> trip, trip down, trip down and hit nose. <laughs> Sorry. These are all canon. Every Mr. Saturn sounds like one of these. They're slightly different. Was scared. Okay, I strong. New things, more difficult things from now on. Boing. <laughs> All right. Fart, fart. Okay. Well, there we go. That was a good mystery topic. I love it. I love it. Um, wow, what is this glitched up shit you're putting in, Tulpa? Is this from one of the ROM oh. hacks you played? Yes, it is. Um, I was trying, I'm just dumping all of the screenshots in our chat right now because I wanted to say a little bit about uh, a ROM hack. Um, I think everyone should go check out Hyperbound. It's a very interesting ROM hack in that it is 
Even though it is a hack of Earthbound, it does not feel obliged to imitate what Earthbound does and instead does its own thing. It has a kind of uh, interactive fiction vibe to it for me. Uh, it reminded me of um, A Mind Forever Voyaging and that it's mostly about exploring a location and talking to people and uh, and just finding where you fit into this world. Uh until the end, where if you do not uh, successfully uh, regain your memories, the game starts falling up. So it has this uh, theme where if you don't take the world seriously, the world becomes uh, more fragile as you play. That's interesting. That's how the good games get you. I, in, in, in Vanity, did you mention the initial title screen? The screenshot is just reminding me of that. Oh, yeah. The initial title screen is a UFO over what I would assume to be Foresight shooting lightning, which is just... And it, and it has this very 50s sci-fi schlock vibe that really threw me off. That was really this odd. is the war against Gigas or whatever. And it's really contrast with what follows. And I thought that was interesting. That's all. That's all. And yeah, with regards to Earthbound, the or with regards to Hyperbound, the way it falls apart is uh, random tiles will get swapped around, the color palettes will get messed up, NPC dialogue will be deleted or replaced with gibberish, uh, a whole bunch of things until eventually it becomes literally unplayable and the the game just locks up. Okay, I so, have to play this. This is great. <laughs> yeah, me too. This and this be. only happens if uh, if you intentionally uh, keep messing up. I actually had to reload a save because the first time I played through it, I made no mistakes. Well. Which is terrible. <laughs> uh, well, okay, there we go. So Hyperbound as a recommendation. We all know what uh, what Mr. Saturn sounds like, and I think that's it for this podcast. Uh, we kept it under a clean three hours. <laughs> Very clean and, and smooth. Um, and yeah, so hey, everybody, where can people find you if they want more of you? Well, I'm Courier Rice. You can find me on the select button.net forums as Courier Rice. I'm on Twitter as Courier Rice, though I don't use it that much. And I run the snexploration.tumblr.com microblog. It's not super frequently updated, but I I need to go update it. And I'm happy to take all of your anonymous messages regarding the podcast. Um, also, just so y'all know at home, this is because this was Earthbound. This was a much longer podcast than usual. Usually, we use it, we keep it at a very brisk two hours. <laughs> I am no code. You can find me on the selectbutton.net forums as no code and nowhere else. I'm one second before, and I'm also on the select button forums as one second before. And for the first time, I can share a brand new Twitter account that I made so that I could enter the drawing that I ended up winning to pick Earthbound for this game or for this cast. So it was worth it. But I am as a consequence of that on Twitter. And because some Russian musician took my name, I am at Unsegundo Antes. So come on over and follow me. 
I'm Bachelor. You can find me on Twitter at BachelorSoft, on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. My website's BachelorSoft.com, where you can find my hot game that's currently in development called DDD Natural Playboys. It's better than Earthbound. It's better than everything. Please send me money. Goodbye. Uh, I am Shrug. You can find me on the forums as Shrug. You can find me on Twitter at at Shrugopolis. I don't use it that often. Which is probably for the best. I'm on No Rangers Allowed, being GM'd by Topa, playing the Petulant Dwarf. Sometimes I actually play the video game. I am Topa. If you do not find my presence on this podcast more than enough, you can find me on the forum as well. Uh, as Talpa. You can find me on Twitter as Memorious Talpa. And you can also find me GMing No Rangers Allowed as Talpa still, but also as a bunch of other much worse characters somehow. <laughs> um, and I, I've been Virtual Clint. You can find me on Twitter at Virtual Clint. Uh, I'm on the forums as Virtual Clint. Basically everywhere you just Google that. Um, if you like this podcast, uh, spread the word. Tell your kissing librarian. Tell the local gangster who runs a very nice park. Uh, anybody that you know, I love it when more people listen to this. Uh, and leave us some reviews on iTunes. If you do, I will read it on the podcast, even if it's really, really mean. And while I'm here, I actually need to... Hold on. I'm going to check and see if there is a new review. I don't think so. Please don't, please don't be really, really mean. Don't be really, really mean, though. Like, please... I don't actually need that in my life. I just now I say it out of habit. Be, <laughs> you can be mean to me. Be uh, comedically caustic. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. Comedically caustic. <laughs> really, just give us five stars. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's new reviews. It's not loading. Son of a. Anyway. <laughs> um, also, see. just just so you know, at home, it is uh, like. You're at home are probably aware. It's a little hard to get started on a podcast for a lot of people. And so I uh, I do request you to staple your friends and family down to the floor and force them to listen to this until they like it. That's the best way to help us out. Yeah. If you like us just for hang attitude, um, you can also follow on uh, this next exploration Twitter, which is now going to be tweeting every time one of the regulars is streaming. So you can just come hang out with us. So uh, don't forget to check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash exploration. That's SN exploration. If you love us, then give us money. Um, <laughs> we have a new website. It's at, at SNES.zone. has links to everything. It's great. And as always, for more inane video game discussion, jump into the selectbutton.net forums. The next podcast will be up on April 7th. And now it's time to find out what three games you'll be voting on. This is the exciting part for a lot of people, right? Uh, if you hurry to Twitter, uh, at Exploration, you can catch the vote. So do it now. Uh, anyway, the next three games up for the decision are, and you're going to love this, Tulpa, Pilot Wings. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was surprised when that came up because I knew ahead of time what this was going to be. Uh, so we've got Pilot Wings, which everybody knows. We've got R Type Three, the Third Lightning. Yes, Third Lightning. Wow. I yeah. never go beyond two lightnings. Thanks, Ben Franklin. And then, what does that mean? I don't fucking know. And then the third game is Super Gusun Oyoyo Two. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> These are all good. Holy shit. This is this is dangerous and unusual.
Yeah. Wait, I, do you actually know what that last one is? Yeah, it's been played on Game Center CX. What is it? It is a fascinating little puzzle platformer game where you have to build a floor while a little lemming style guy walks along. So it's it's very unique. It's very interesting. It's had arcade games. It's had multiple uh, games that have, I think, never come to America. But one of them went to uh, Europe as like Yo-Yo's Pal Park or something. I'm not sure what it was, but it's like, look it up. It's super interesting. It's probably going to be pretty hard, though. <laughs> okay, so vote for Pilot Wings if yes. you want only, like, two of us to actually finish the game 100%. Vote for Pilot Wings regardless. Clint. Yes. We're not uh, editorializing. <laughs> we'll pick before Clint. this comes out anyways. Vote for, Have you, vote vote for, for everything. All of these games are ones I want to play. Clint, have you seen and read a really mean review? Yeah, I read the really mean review on the cast. Okay. <laughs> I did find the reviews. I'm just making sure. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just making sure. Well, there we go. So that's. Uh, thank you, thank you, Shrug. I appreciate it. So that's the podcast, and until next time, and I'm going to go for this one because I get to go first. It's not Undertale. You low-hanging fruit catching son of a motherfucker. <laughs> it's not Homestuck? That one out. It's, <laughs> uh, it's not... It's not Shadowrun. It's not Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Brides. It's still not M-E-T-H-O-D, man. It's not Persona 4. It's not as good as my game. <laughs> it's not Urban Strike. <laughs> Every time. It's, it's not, not Jungle Strike. Oh, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> oh, wait, it's, it's not, not Yume Nikki. It's definitely not Yume Nikki, either. It's not... That's a bit more relevant. It's not... Desert Strike. It's not Cave Story. <laughs> and as always, it's not Chuck Rock. It's not... Chuck Rock. <laughs> Chuck Rock, it's bye. It's not... Goodbye, everyone, bye. Chuck Rock. It's bye -bye. not... It's not... Over. And we broke Shrug. Oh, it's no. not... He's broken again. It's no problem here. It's not <laughs> preemptive strike. It's not... Yep. Bye. It's not... <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping the recording, Shrek. <laughs> it's not let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let...
I asked the people on the selectbutton.net forums to send in short clips of how they feel about Earthbound. I've got three here, and so we'll just listen to those. And uh, yeah, that'll be the end of the podcast. Thanks for sticking with us through this very long one. And I, uh, I promise next one will be a little bit shorter. And without further ado, let's hear from the people on the forums. In 2015, the YouTuber Matt Pat released an awful video claiming that Ness is the same character as Undertale's villain, Sans Gruber. This is blatant slander on the good name of Ness Ebound, and has stood uncontested for far too long. Fortunately, this quote-unquote theory has recently been debunked. According to ReadyPlayer1.Wikia.com, fandom powered by Wikia, both Ness and Sans can be seen fighting during the film's final battle in the Oasis, meaning they cannot possibly be the same character. Thank you, Shigesato Itoi, Toby Fox, Steven Spielberg, and Ernest Klein for collaborating and ridding us of this awful heresy. My first experience with Earthbound was through my friend's Nintendo Power strategy guide or something. It was on paper. The characters were these cute little clay people, and it came with a page of terrible-smelling scratch-and-sniff stickers. It looked like miserable kid shit to me. A kid who would soon enough think Final Fantasy was the greatest game ever made. I don't know whose idea it was to market Earthbound with cute clay people and smelly stickers, but they were a genius. I wasn't enough of a kid when I was a kid to appreciate it. Now, with the quirky humor and the 60s pastiche and the devastating melancholy are all very real to me. I don't drink coffee, but we all need a coffee break sometimes. Not that Earthbound is a coffee break, it's a thing long enough and needs its own damn coffee break. But ain't that just the way of it sometimes. Hi, Explorers. It's me, Sleepy Smiles. Earthbound is possibly my favorite game of all time. Uh, it has the rare distinction, among games at least, of directly influencing my art and my writing, and maybe even my worldview a little bit. Uh, it was hard for me to hone down what I like about it to just one thing, uh, but after lots of pacing back and forth, tearing my hair out, uh, I think my favorite little detail in the game, uh, one that symbolizes the whole experience for me, is during the end credits, uh, near the end of the credits song, Smiles and Tears. Uh, one of the most beautiful pieces of music composed for a video game, thank you very much. The music swells to a point, pauses, and a digitized voice says, I miss you. It's a moment that gets me choked up every time. Uh, the warmth and heart represented by that tinny little sound clip is the heart of Earthbound itself, if you ask me. And you did. Lovely, lovely game. Uh, thanks for letting me say my bit. I'll see you at another time in another space. Boing! Zoom!